for just about everything for the outdoors, go to MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit Tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Ooh, buddy, y'all have done it now. You are about to get the second barrel of unbelievable elk calling content. On today's show, joining the crew at Elk Camp is the elk nut himself. That's right, Mr. Paul Medell is in camp. And today's goal is to make sure you hunt the rut instead of getting stuck in a rut this September. Forget that 90% failure rate. Time to aim for that 10% club, y'all. So hold on tight, y'all. This one is locked and loaded. That discussion, our Elk Bros shout-outs, and great questions from our Elk Bros mailbox. So, my friends, pull up a chair, adjust your volumes just right, and welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting, brought to you by ElkGrows.com. With your host, Gilbert Ornelas, and elk hunting coach, Joe Gillian. You want to hunt elk? They live to hunt elk. Their goal is to share with you what they have learned grinding it out for over 35 seasons doing what they love. So come on into camp and set a spell. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunters. Hello there, everyone. If it's your first time with us, glad to have you. Hope you enjoy our show. And as always, for those blue-collar hunters following our show and grinding it out with us every week, welcome back to Elk Camp. I'm Gilbert Ornelas, the host of your show, coming to you from Spring, Texas. And that's right, we've got the leader of the Venezuelan Mafia in the house, Mr. Luis Gonzalez from Katy, Texas. And from Newcastle, Colorado, the newest addition to the Elk Bros coaching staff, and man, are we filling the dugout with blue chip talent, y'all. Tonight, we officially welcome him to the Elk Bros crew, Mr. Guy Duplanche. Oh, <laughs> New Mexico, we got your elk hunting coaches in the house. That's right, we've got the ninja, Leroy Chavez, 
And WWJGD, what would Joe Gillia do? He's in the house and pulling up a chair to join the crew at Elk Camp today. You know him as the Elk Nut. We know him as one of the most passionate elk hunters there are and an incredible educator who's made it a mission to help others find success in the elk woods. Mr. Paul Medell, welcome to Elk Camp, brother. Oh. We are not worthy. <laughs> yeah, right. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it very much. Very welcome. So glad to have you, Mr. Medill. Yeah, Paul, it's awesome, man. So excited to have you here, bud. And, you know, we had um, this time of year when everybody's starting to get excited, starting to get pumped, and they're starting to get ready. Everybody's thinking about how they can up their game and stuff. And I thought it was perfect. You and I had talked about this some time ago. We were talking last year, and I believe it was right after the season, we were talking about how we come across so many people that they're not hunting the rut. They're stuck in the rut, man. Same old thing every year. So we wanted to bring you and have that topic tonight, bud. So thanks for coming and joining us. Hey, my pleasure, man. Absolutely. It's a, I'm a more than happy to sit around this campfire. No problem. <laughs> awesome. Paul, I have one question. Are you retired, brother, or do you have a business that you run uh, outside of elk hunting? No, basically I'm retired. I have been for 14 years. So, awesome. uh, yeah, the elk net outdoors I still have and the app and whatnot, but I mean, that's a, that's not work. <laughs> no, I, well, my dad told me a long time ago, if you do something you love, it'll never feel like work. That's right. Know? I agree mm-hmm. with him. Yeah. I, I imagine you've done other things that felt like work and now you're doing what you want to do, not what you have to do. So. Yeah. I was a masonry contractor for 35 oh, years. Awesome, so, brother. My dad was a ceramic tile and marble contractor. So. Yeah, I did all that too. <laughs> yeah. That you know? was part and, of the masonry business. And your son, uh, Paul, right? he, he does a lot of construction <clears throat> renovation and stuff like that, right? Yeah, he took the business over 14 years ago. So, uh, yeah, he runs uh, all the, the masonry tile business as well awesome. yeah, in McCallsdale. So, yeah, gotcha. it's been there, what, my 35, his 14, 49 years. Wow. No, uh, Dell's masonry and tile have been there. So, yeah, I'll get it, I'll get it out of the way, Joe. We're going to give a shout out to Boise, Idaho for, uh, <laughs> Mr. Paul Medell. And he, it, so your son sounds like he's the one having to shovel all that snow, huh? Oh yeah, but he's young, so what the heck? You know, he's still <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's only forty-three, so he's all right. Yeah. He can, he can yeah. handle it. My yeah, age. I can fight hell with a water pistol at forty-three, brother. <laughs> yeah, uh, Luis, Luis over here is that age, right? He's forty-three yeah, as well. Yeah, and there you uh, go. It, it's funny because when you look when we started this podcast three years ago, I've got I've got video of Luis on the podcast, and I look the same. He looks 12. <laughs> he didn't have a gray hair on him. Man. Yeah. <laughs> the patch is filling in. Wait till it starts and it's just going to flood. And you're going to go, oh. Yeah, but he's been friends with Manano for like six years. So all that yeah, gray hair, man. That's what on. did it. That's what did it. <laughs> and, and I want everybody to know, too, um, a, a lot of people see Paul as, you know, this guy that comes to seminars on calls and, you know, he talks elk all the time. But, but I want, I want you to know, and, and when I mentioned in the beginning or we put that in that he's an incredible educator, that's exactly what he is. And, but I want to tell you something else he is. He's just a doggone good individual because, yeah. you know, we, we are producing a new product. Um, we're producing a grunt tube, an elk bros, uh, we call it the soloist. And it wouldn't be happening if it wasn't for Paul. 
You know, um, I talked to Paul uh, way before trying to, I had no clue how and where to take this. It's just, if you haven't been in this industry and he's been an incredible mentor, um, helping to guide, helping us to try to be successful. And, you know, it's funny when I first came into the industry, I, I kind of got this feeling from a lot of people that, a lot of people were like cutthroat or something. And let me tell you what, I have not seen that at all. What I have seen is genuine good people. You take, you know, guy who we've met right there, you mm-hmm. know, Chatter backcountry rookies, all you know, I've got uh, Armando at the Bow Hitch, all these people and Paul who has been doing this for a while, has been incredibly successful doing this, has an app out there for ten dollars. That mm. if you don't have it on your phone, shame um, on you. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. unbelievable. If you don't have that, that is a no-brainer. Um, this guy has shared everything he knows and continues. He hasn't just built an app and sat on it. He gets mm. so excited about this that he is constantly. He, you know, okay. he wants to rename things that are happening with. I heard, you know, he wants to reshoot videos. He wants to get out there. He he goes. Paul, I, I bet you don't have a clue how many seminars you've done over the last number of years. Uh, no. <clears throat> well, I've done them for 25. So, yes. you know, <laughs> who keeps, you know, at first you do keep kind of count, uh-huh. uh, you know, kind of track. And it was the same thing with, uh, with the, uh, podcast. You know, at first, like, oh man, that's five. And then that's 10. And now it's a hundred and something. I, you know, right. but I enjoy them. It, it's, the, the, I think the really, the nice thing about me is my memory isn't the best, but it, it, it's, it's solid for elk hunting. And I don't, I really don't forget much about elk hunting tactics, sequences, where, when they should be, be used. But when I talk, uh, uh, elk hunting and who did I talk to who about what, yeah. it seems after a week or two, it kind of fades a little bit. Mm-hmm. Right. Because I do so many of them, and so right. it's not hard to give them. Because to me, it's not so repetitious. It's, it's, <laughs> it really isn't. I know. Yeah. Wait till you get older, you just do. Not you necessarily, but I mean, yeah. it, it just happens that way. And so it's almost a blessing in disguise that I don't get tired of doing it. I yeah. can do like this will be what my third podcast in about ten days right here. And and it's like the other ones were, you know, for that time, and now this <clears> one's for this and. I don't know. It, it, it's uh, it's not a big deal, but I enjoy doing them, and I and it's all about trying to help others. I mean, I want to make one thing absolutely clear: this has nothing to do with money. Absolutely nothing to do with money. This Man, all I, has to do with trying to help individuals with their with their kids, their father, that, you know, Paul. their daughters, their sons, yep. their friends. Shorten the learning curve. Get out there. If the high tech industry we have today, mm-hmm. these people don't have. The same mindset as I did when I was a little kid, black and white TV, no VCR. I mean, I mean, there was no internet, no cell phone. It was such a different thing that the kids today are in school. They have sports and they're running everywhere. So when they can go hunt for five or seven days, I want them to, to have some real benefit and some confidence. You know what? We have a chance. We're not just out there camping. And, yeah. and, and that's kind of how I see it because of the blessings I've received with my kids and taking them and seeing the joy on their face, whether we're fishing or hunting and, and having good results, you that's know, right. and that's what keeps Absolutely. them coming back. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and that was going to be my point was the thousands of things that you've done. 
every time you come, it's with the same amount of passion. And <laughs> and being somebody that wears their emotions on their sleeve and is just that excitable kind of guy, and Gilbert is too, man, It uh, again, I recognize that and I appreciate that. And that shows where your heart is and that shows how much this means to you and how much you love it and how much joy you get from it. So, But I... I I tip my hat to you on that, mm-hmm. and and I mm-hmm. I personally on this show want to thank you for your mentorship as far as what we've been doing with the products and stuff like that, and your guidance and and it's been invaluable. So thanks a lot, bud. All oh, right. you're more than welcome. Yeah, yeah I'm no, going to interject real quick, Gil. Sorry, I'm going to cut you. Go off. ahead, Bubba. The the one thing, and I've been running the Elk app forever. It was my first introduction, right, to to Elk when I when I went into this endeavor. And the one thing that's always stood out to me, Paul, is the humility in which you deliver, Definitely. right? And then that's a big thing. And and I feel like sometimes when we look around, it's lacking um, just in general across the board. So I, oh, yeah. I absolutely appreciate the humility and the passion that you uh, that you deliver all this with and put it out yeah. there, everybody. So thank, thank you. Thank you. And the humbleness, man, you know, not a guy that's, you've done it all, killed hundreds of bulls and called in hundreds, <laughs> maybe thousands of bulls. But I think you just as giddy on the next bull as you were on your first one, you know. So I, that's that resonates with me. And we, like I said, you know, I was kind of fangirling when I first got on here and we were talking because, you know, it is what it is. Um, you, you've been a big part of us being successful. Myself, as soon as I found out about the Elk Nut app and Paul Medell, um, it went from me being able to call Elk, but not really understanding what they're saying to now having, you know, it's kind of like when you go down to Mexico and you can't speak Spanish, you ain't got no clue what they're talking about. Right. But as soon as you start learning the language, you're like, Oh, well you can get along, you know? So now we, we go in there armed with the opportunity to understand what the elk are saying because of guys like you that have poured their heart out to, 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 you know, the internet and everything else apps, what not, but you've, you've given so much from yourself so we could benefit from that. And man, we can't thank you enough for being here today. And man, I, you know, I'm, I'm excited to get this party started, Joe. <laughs> Joe, I mean, let's head over to our Elk Bros mailbox and kick it off. <laughs> Absolutely, man. I'll start with the first one. Chav, you take Adam when we get done here, but we got Tim mm-hmm. Rieger, um, out of Abbotsford, Canada. Mm-hmm. And he says, uh, hi guys, love the show in the new format. And he's talking about the fact that the mailbox is early, man, like that. He likes that. Here's a question for you. (laughs) I've been shooting standard diameter arrows from Cabela's, Stalker Extreme Carbon Arrows. I had a buddy over to do some shooting, and he had X-Impact micro diameter arrows. We talked a lot regarding the pros and cons for elk hunting. Uh, For example, my arrows penetrated my target bearing about half the arrow. His arrows would almost pass right through the same target. Differences in arrow speed, drag, durability, etc. His setup included a larger diameter, weighted insert, and broadhead. We were just shooting field field tips here. Um, What is your take on it? What do you guys shoot, larger diameters or micro diameter? I'm especially interested in the opinion of the VM leader, or you can ask <laughs> Luis too. <laughs> oh, 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 he threw a little shade at you, dude. But, yeah, buddy. But, but I knew exactly where Luis was going to take this was, and my first reaction was, well, okay, so 
what's the weight of your two arrows? I mean, could that have been the difference? What yeah. was the pound of the bow? And so what he told me was, he was like, okay, say all things even, my, my curiosity is the difference between a micro diameter and the regular. Is there a benefit? Is there a cost? Anything like that? So. Yeah. But- so if I may, you know, first of all, you, no problem. Got news for you. The VM leader and Luis are the same person. <laughs> um, and secondly, if you were to ask Manano, he would have no idea, brother. So, Tim, you know, you're in the blacklist with me, but you and I have had it for a while. <laughs> you know, you keep calling Manano the leader, but then you keep asking me questions. What's up with this, brother? <laughs> so, uh, no, uh, you know, obviously, uh, you know, at the end of the day, yeah, you mentioned ragged, right? Uh, I think I think the the diameter has more to do, probably even in longer shots. I bet if you guys were shooting um, out and and you know a targets at close range, uh, I don't I don't think it'll have a difference if if it's the same spine, if it's the same arrow weight, and uh, the same FOC and the whole the whole setup, same same um, draw weight and everything. So all things being equal. At short distances, I don't think you'll have, you know, a, a big impact in my opinion. At longer distances, um, yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, ideally, uh, a smaller diameter profile is probably better. Um, and, uh, just but, are you talking because of wind? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, so, but that's, that's honestly, kind of my two cents on that. You know, and when he talks the X impact micro diameter arrows, uh, those, I don't think they go below, uh, 2.0, 0.209 in diameter. Um, and, uh, so I shoot the 0.204 diameter, the Apollo series. Yeah. And, uh, Me so, too. yeah. And they're not micro, but they're, but they're, they're small enough to where they have a consistent uh, spine. And, and, uh, you know, if you, if you go, if you go too big on your, on the, on your shaft weight, then you're going to struggle a little bit on um, putting that FOC uh, more forward as well. You know, for me, it's, it's a well-balanced build, right? I mean, you know, and, and I know that there's different schools of thought here, right? I've never been a speed guy. I've never been a high FOC guy, mm-hmm. but it's a balanced build. And, and what are you trying to do? What are you trying to get through? Um, and, and, you know, in that tinkering, you have to go through that process. It costs us a few more dollars, but if you're looking at, you know, things like penetration, um, you know, that, that goes to momentum weight, what's on the front of it, right? I mean, you know, you, you could be holding in there a little bit. If his buddy's shooting heavier and he has a higher FOC, a little more, uh, forward weight and he's weight on the front, more. you know, he's going to penetrate more. But to me, it's a balanced build. You have a balanced build that, that you can shoot well, that you're consistent built or consistently building and consistently shooting. Um, that's the biggest in my opinion. I think oh, you, I oh. think you hit the the nail on the head, um, guy. When you when you talk about you know kind of depends of what you want to do, or what you're shooting, right? If you're target shooting, and you're competing on target shooting, there's there's a max diameter that you can go with, and you know shooters go with that max diameter because it helps them touch Same that way. little line, you know, <laughs> that is right next to it. So yeah. uh, they're a short distance, right? But yeah. uh, you know, so it, it depends. It really depends of what you want to do. But you know, again, me for elk hunting, I'm I'm happy with my five point two oh four diameter. Paul, what do we look like with your setup? I'm an FOC guy myself, so 
you know, I, I've uh, I used to do a lot of uh, a lot of test testing. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot, you know, and so it, I don't care what the diameter of the arrow is. That's really irrelevant when I'm shooting a broadhead because the broadhead's carving, you know, paving the way, and it doesn't yeah. matter what you're shooting. I don't care if you're shooting a telephone pole. It really doesn't matter. It's still smaller than your broadhead. Mm-hmm. And so when it comes to hunting situations, and I don't really care about target shooting and all this and that, not that it's not important to people, but I'm assuming this is more hunting-related question that the guy's interested yeah. in. Uh, there's no doubt that if somebody's shooting more poundage, <clears throat> I can guarantee you he is trying to compare apples with oranges, whoever right. gave you that note. He's not yeah. comparing two setups. We Same don't even thing. know if they were tuned. We don't know if one yeah, gra- one right. was a 500 grain arrow, one's a 350 grain arrow. Right. We Which know nothing about it. Right. But I always like to see between 14 and 16. I love that. It's through my FOC. testing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, FOC. That's what I like. It doesn't mean you have to shoot that. My son right. is a diehard 400 grain arrow. He that's all he'll shoot, and so does my son-in-law. Okay, my son-in-law's killed 26 bulls. Paul's killed 29. I mean, how can you argue with them that they shouldn't shoot a 400 grain arrow? And you can't. And so, but that's what they like. And I mean, they blow through a lot of animals. Now, when I take that same setup they have and I go through testing and my favorite material is plywood or OSB and I like three quarters of an inch and I put three together when I do it and I screw them together. So when I'm testing it with field tips, uh, and that's how I'm going to do it because you can't get a broadhead out of that stuff for two. I mean, it'd just be ridiculous. So when I'm testing them side by side, I can take a like I, right now this year I'm shooting a 460 grain arrow, but the arrow that I shoot most of the time is around 425 to 430. Now, if you take two 430 grain arrows, but one has 200 grains up front, insert and head, and the other one has a 17 grain insert and a 100 grain head, which one's going to out penetrate? And they both weigh the same. Yeah. The one with more weight on the Oh, it blows past it. When I, when I do the practice, people just don't get it. And so when I shoot into the plywood, and I mean, I've done this hundreds of times, it'll go through maybe one and a half of them. And I can take my 425 to 430 with 200 up front, and I'll drive through all three by about half an inch. And so, and I mean, time after time after time, and guys have a hard time understanding how can that be? Because they both weigh the same, but it's not the point. It's where the, it's where the front. All the Where the weight is at. And the bow doesn't know. All it knows is it's casting the same amount of, you know, energy to the Transfer, arrow. Yeah. Now, if I went to a 650 grain arrow and I stayed with probably 150 grains or less up front and I put it next to my arrow and I shot it 30 yards, my 430 blows right past it. It doesn't even come close. The 600 grain arrow barely even sticks into one of them. It just doesn't have enough uh, penetration. But you would think, that can't be. Well, it is because I'm shooting the same 65 pound bow and I'm not mustering enough energy to take a 600 grain arrow fast enough. Yeah. To, that it, you see. So, so you end up having this pyramid is what you have. Mm-hmm. If you're shooting 65 pounds, 27 and a half is what I shoot. You have peak performance and then it starts going down. So if I shot a 300 grain arrow, it's not going to penetrate nowhere near the 430 but if i shoot a 600 i went took my peak and i went down the other way now this one might be fast but it's not has no penetration value that's right you take that same guy and him a 30 same setup him a 31 inch draw different that's a different thing though so what you do is you have to take the 31 inch guy and you have to shoot comparable Mm -hmm. setups arrows and so the guy asking the question you know without knowing the the weight 
is the was the arrow even spined? Yeah. You know, for his bow. I mean, I, yeah, I have no idea. It's yeah, hard to, uh, and that's why I think Joe clarified. I, I think know. he followed up with Tim and said, you know, all <laughs> yeah. things being equal, if we exactly. only if we only change the diameter the diameter of the shaft, then what would be the difference? And and, yeah. and to your yeah. point initially, is it you know really does it really matter that much? I guess. It really doesn't. It depends. If you're target shooting, you want big diameter. If you're, you know, hunting, yeah. you probably want a smaller diameter for longer shots, less less, less drift. And I'll, yeah. I'll take that even a step further. I mean, you know, that's like I have people that try to sell me arrows at a higher price because they're like, the straightness on this arrow is point blah 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 blah, right? Yeah. And you know, um, you know, how much Tolerance difference is time, some yeah. of these into the other one? I mean, I've actually taken, well, you remember when we were shooting double X75s, right, Paul? <laughs> and I mean, I've taken those arrows and looked down it and, and done this, done that, and, oh, you yeah. know, and, and center punch stuff with it, you know, just because of practice. So, uh, and I know, I mean, when you're coming, if you're shooting as much as like Guy likes to shoot and the way Luis likes to shoot and you guys are trying to drop dimes at, at certain distances and stuff, well, I can see where that becomes critical, especially if you're target shooting, 3D shooting and stuff like that. But, you know, I'm a hunter and, and I go out to kill things. So uh, I never even shot a carbon until that drug pusher put one on me over there. So, uh, you know, uh, I was and, and, and basically it came down to cost at that time. Again, years so. Yeah, yeah, it's it's just like that. So that's a great. He's been, question. On, he's been on that dope fiend train for thirteen years, Paul. Don't let him. <laughs> don't let him. Uh, don't let him get by that. Yeah, you, well, you know, for the for the guy that asked a question, if 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 he's looking at a hunting setup, you know, it, it, just to follow fall in a, a parameter of of guidance. Mm-hmm. If he were to go ahead and take an arrow that came in between 425 and 460, a nice balance. If he's shooting 70 pounds at 28 or less, you know, he's going to want to shoot roughly a 340 spine. He could go to a 300 if he wants to put 200 or 225 up front, if he wants to. It's just so that it'll spine out. But you're always better off to go with a heavier spine than a lighter because you can tune. I can tune a 300 to me, to my shoot, my setup, like nothing, piece of cake. But I shoot 340 because my arrow is only 26 inches long yeah. at 27 and a half. Yeah, and I have, yeah, I have 175 to 200, depending on what I'm, 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 I'm playing with up front. But basically, if the, he fell in that parameter of 425 to 460 and his spine was correct for his draw length and the poundage he's drawn, and who knows what it is because he never said, yeah, he, you know, he's going to build a pretty good uh, a case for himself for a, as far as hunting. If he's going to be doing 3D shooting, uh, like the the young guy said there, I'm sorry, I, I can't remember your name, but that's, he's that's right down there. <laughs> yeah, the, then he's Later. right. You know, yeah, you would yeah. do different. I shoot a, a five millimeter arrow. That's what I like, and I've shot four millimeter, which was a victory VAP. But now I'm shooting the Eastern Axis, and so you know, and the 204, my son shoots that. He shoots the victory RIPs. And and that's what those are is a two oh four. So I mean yeah. what and, you and want, to your point if you it, if you want to work it from the back to the front, then you know you start with your poundage and your draw length and then kind of pick the best spine for that. And then with your right. spine then you then you build on what way you wanna put on the front in order to get the FOC you know, that you want to achieve, right? You know, and like he said, anything above fourteen you know, so, 15 is, 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 is good. And the yeah. more the merrier, right? And, and uh, um, yeah. And, 
But I'm most nice. people I, shoot eleven today. Most people are eleven. That's what I really mean, like. That. That most, is. Yeah, and 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 so yeah, I've seen. I think my old setup used to have like not eight or nine, and it was you know right. it was. Well, it, what we did with Luis, I went through a really extensive process to tune my arrows and stuff like that and let him do it. Luis is a hell of an engineer and he ain't going to miss a thing. So the hundreds of shots I shot, what really did was reinforce to me that number one, the setup that I shot that I've killed nine bulls with in the last nine years and uh 11 elk total, it 100% told me that I was really close anyway. Right. Mm-hmm. To, to having something really good. All I did was just tweak it a little bit and make it better. Like a, like a hand load in a rifle. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just going to make it that much better, penetrate a little. And it wasn't like we added too much. I mean, it was another 40, 50 grains, huh, Luis? And it was mm-hmm. after the race. We moved our FOC uh, a bunch from about 55, 13, 14 to almost 17, 18. So mm-hmm. I mean, that's huge. You know, and look, the stuff I shot with it this year, I didn't get to shoot an elk with it because we, we did it when I came home. But the stuff I shot this year, man, I mean, it went through it like, like, uh, through a Christmas goose. You know what I mean? So, uh, it was right. awesome. So let's, let's get this next one, man. Cause yeah. I tell you what, we could end up on an arrow build thing for a long time. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> I know I'll, 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 I'll probably struggle <laughs> with that. <laughs> All right. Guys. Here we go. Okay, uh, this is from Adam Visser. Uh, is he also from Abbotsford, Canada? Oh. Uh, no, I don't think he is. No. Yeah. Well, anyway, uh, when you talk about putting elk to bed, so you know where they are and then you leave them for a while, how long do you usually wait un- before you go after them again? And I think generally we're talking about, uh, locating them, uh, at nightfall. So when, when when I saw this chap, I thought it could be either one. I mean, it could be you put them to bed because they went to a destination and you got them, you know, bedded then, or it could be that you, you know, you night located them and and left them from there. So or can, I, I got a third option. Huh? Or the wind changed. You actually <laughs> killed it and put it to bed. You want to make sure the meat. You don't want to make sure. You want to make sure the meat doesn't go bad. Yeah, 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 these doggone engineers, man, they always search them. So, so, uh, you, the guy's asking, like, you put an elk to bed and then you leave. How long do you usually wait before you go after them again? Uh, let's deal with see. the night bugling first. You know, let's talk about that because basically we're just trying to identify and locate so we have some, just like putting a turkey to bed, man, you, so that you know. And that doesn't mean they're going to be in that exact location, especially depending on the wind, what that's doing. If they're in a big park, if the rut's going heavy, they're getting pressure from other bulls around there. They're going to move some, but they're not going to move a whole lot too far. They're going to be in that general area. So we're just out there myself. I like to be out there at least an hour before daylight uh so i'm planning on being back in that area so i can listen so i can you know do some location talk just to get them to give away their position and once i have that once they've given away their position then i'm good to go so that's that point right there um paul you have anything additional on that i i i know what you're saying i mean if i were to locate one at midnight or two in the morning He's going to be right there. He doesn't go anywhere. He's going to be right there come morning. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the same thing if I located him an hour before daylight. You know, he's right there in his nighttime feeding bedding area. And I know I have 45 minutes to kill him. 
because after that, generally speaking, if he's not being pushed by satellite <clears throat> or other hunters, in most cases they're not where I hunt, you know, over the counter. Those elk are there, so I, I got to kill him right in there. And and so my biggest thing, when it comes to killing an elk, it's so easy to say I'm going to go kill an elk, but I have to establish what who he is and what he is. Yeah. Before yeah. I can make a plan. Is this a herd bull? Am I dealing with a satellite? Do I hear three bulls bugling over there? I mean, I'm establishing through the emotion of everything I'm hearing to t- say, this is the tactic I need to use. How long do I have to kill this bull? What's it going to take? Uh, and so I need to know what kind of bull he is. That's what I need to know. So as soon as I hear him, the furthest thing from my mind is, is he going to be there? That is completely out of the equation. I could care less. He is going to be within earshot. Of somewhere in there, even if I located him at two in the morning, he will be over there somewhere. It would, it's a very unusual thing if he's not. So I'm just talking from like you, 40 years of doing this. Yeah. It's more common than not, uh, that he's going to be in that vicinity. And so I, and so I'm going by his mindset. Exactly what I hear. I already know what I'm going to do with that bull, but when it's time to actually go and hunt him by his attitude. And so. This is that's the direction I travel right there. And I, like I said, if I have to dog him because it didn't work out, you know, and and he's not very vocal, how are you going to put him to bed at that time? <laughs> because he's not vocal, and, and and you don't know what direction he went. So hopefully you can get him to sound off, or a satellite's bothering him until I can catch their bugles coming from one spot. Otherwise they're traveling. So the bugles here. Then here, then here. But once I hear two or three bugles all from the uh, 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 same, uh, the same locale, yeah, he's dead. That dude's toast. Mm-hmm. That's where he's going to die is right there because I know I have him for the next seven or eight hours. He's going to be right there. I'm going to have his full attention, and I can do what I feel is necessary to uh, give him the best tactic in my mind. And And, you know, a lot of people will say, go with your gut. But, you know, what does that really mean? And I'm not trying to change the subject here, but when a guy says go with your gut, what if you have very little elk hunting experience? How can you go? You know, but go with your gut means go on past experience. That's what that means. So hundreds of times I've been in this situation. So here's what's worked. Here's what hasn't worked. I'm going with my gut where the results are much more positive if I do this instead of this. And so, you know, whether I'm working them right at daylight or whatever, I'm going to go with my gut from past experience as far as how, what's it going to take to pull this guy in. Did he only bugle one time? That's it. And we haven't heard him again. You see, so that's big difference on how I can handle that bull. Maybe I'm making my way in because it's uh, getting daylight now, and I've heard him five or six times bugle, and nothing else is answering. See, what did that tell me? Mm-hmm. I know what it tells me, but what I'm trying to show you is what is his mindset. So what if I go up there and there's two or three bulls bugling him, and they're going – Pretty competitive. You see, that tells me exactly what's going on over there. All three of those situations are a different tactic. If you think you're going to go in and use a, a one-dimensional tactic on every one of those, you are going to have a whole lot of tags that you're going to eat because it doesn't work that way. Pick the right tactic or whatever it takes, the sequence or tactic for that bull, and you'll find that you'll call over 90% of them in. Yeah, and and he was asking, how long do you think would you usually wait before going after them again? And and basically, like if if we're 
if we get one and we put it to bed right at dark and we know where it's at and we're heading mm-hmm. back to camp, then we're just back out there in the morning so we can locate them again. They're Like Paul said, they're going to be in that area. And if you put one to bed in midday, we're not leaving. <laughs> no, we're staying right kill there. Him. We're going to we kill that right. we're, gonna, we're going to get in there. And when the wind is right, we're going to get in there in his kitchen. And, and but you, we're going to get him. Hey, yeah, you hear that. You hear that a lot. To put to bed. You, you hear, hear it a lot, though. Yeah. You hear yeah. it a lot where folks will say, oh, you know, they put them to bed, right? That That's, <clears> you know, don't hunt the dark timber. I've heard that so, so, so many times. And it's, to me, that's a fool's game. Like you have a vocal bull, go. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Especially get in, on there, a get in there in his kitchen. And even if you, if you put him to bed in the dark timber, you don't necessarily have to go in after him. You just got to wait for that booger till it's time for him to get back up, checking his cows a little bit, and then give him something else to come out of that with. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, you do a scenario to pull him over and you've got an opportunity to kill that booger, man. You but, just... Uh, why would you do that on public land? If we're talking a public land hunt, why? I could see that on private land if you're if you're on an outfitter's. Most place. of the time, where I've been on public land, most of the time guys are in camp during the midday, man. Absolutely. I'm, I've usually have them all to myself. I do. Yeah. I, I have. We take we take a nap, man. Right with there with them. We ain't going I, I've, back. I'm going nowhere. When I put when I put animals dead in the midday, uh, it's I have them. They're mine. I have them there for six hours, man. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be a, a, a fun little game right there and a chance for me to kill that animal because everybody else is not going to – they know picture, when other people are gone. <laughs> they really that picture That picture you uh, posted on uh, Instagram the other day of me and Manano taking a nap on the hammocks. Yeah, yeah. Shortly after I took that picture, we had a, a group of – about 20 elk that ran down from that ridge and ran right by us. And Manano and I just got up and looked at each other like, what the heck? <laughs> right in the middle of the day. Right in the middle of the day. So, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I've listened to you a whole bunch, Mr. Paul, and you you said a thousand times that that's probably your funnest way to go kill them is in their beds, right? That if you find them in their beds, you that, that's a dead bull. You're going to go in there and kill him. You know, so would you say that's one of your your funnest things to do is kill him while he's in his bed? Well, you know, I don't, I, you know, just so we're clear, we're not, I'm not killing him in his bed. But no, for sure. He's in his bedding area. Area, right. And I never go into the bedding area right. because I don't pull need him to. Out. I, sell, yeah, I sit him. on the peripheral of it, you know, on the perimeter of it, and, and, and I will pull him out. Mm-hmm. And one of the toughest things to do, and you guys probably have experienced this too, is when I work a bedding area, I do everything in my power to make sure he's still on his feet. Because when a bull beds down, it's really hard a lot of times, unless they're just aggressive as all get out and there's cows hot everywhere. But when he beds down, it's hard to get him back on his feet with just normal calling and, 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 and to get enough interest out of him. You have to be so persistent and annoying to get him to come back up. But if I can catch him before he beds down, oh, it's a 10-minute game instead of a 35-minute game of persuasion and, and, and convincing him he needs to come over. But there's no doubt that I would say 80% of the elk that we put down are killed in their bedding area, not in their feeding area. We do take a few, and once in a while we do we will kill one between one and four, mm-hmm. but most of the time, no. Most of the elk that we take are dead before 1030. And that's because we are really aggressive, but aggressive doesn't mean because I call a lot or right. I'm challenging everything. I'm aggressive for my direction. 
you know, whether it's movement or, uh, or the calling, whatever it may be, but I'm, I'm very aggressive and I don't just lay back and sit there. I, I will usually promote something there, whether it's out of curiosity because they're not aggressive right now. If they are aggressive, uh, there's nothing funner than getting a bull, whether he has cows or not and getting him ticked off because he's defensive for his piece of homeland. And, and I absolutely love doing that. Uh, and they will, they will defend their turf. And this is usually a mature bull. Not many times do you get a little raghorn or three or four of them bachelor grouped up trying to defend their turf. They just don't care. They're freelancers, but you get a, a, a nice mature bull. And whether he has cows or not, he will defend that turf. He will let you walk all over his feeding area and in transition. He, you can share the same wallow at times and water hole. But when you get into his bedding area and you display, he does not like it. And, and, and I say this from experience from pulling so many bulls in, uh, you know, in those areas at that time. But I love getting him in there at about 930. And that's probably one of my, 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 uh, favorite times is to catch them. Cause that's about, as you guys probably know, it's roughly an area, a time frame when the bulls will start, uh, being in or very near their bedding area. And I'll tell you, they won't want to share it. Yeah. No, it oh, makes great sense. One I noticed is in Colorado when we were there, there was a whole lot of difference in the age class of bulls. There were a lot of younger yeah. age class bulls. In mm-hmm. fact, it, it was, it was really interesting how, we were seeing, you know, these younger bulls with one or two cows. We, we mm-hmm. weren't seeing a mature bull with, uh, you know, with cows. 10, 12 cows very seldom in the areas that we were hunting high pressure, low age class. Dealing with that bull in those mm-hmm. bedding areas. How do you deal with that one? Oh man, that's breeding sequence right down the, all the way down. I mean, a hundred percent. Um, it, it, and you're right. When you get that, raghorn and he's got one or two cows you know he's he's pretty happy and content with what he's got he's really not trying to build but he's not trying to lose them either and and but at the same time uh, it seems like a breeding sequence sucks those guys in if you do it right though you know it's 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 the problem i see with a lot of hunters is they know the recipe but the ingredients to the recipe, they want to just jam them all in. And mm-hmm. I'm saying all the sounds, but you know, they don't make it real. They don't make and it they don't believable. Let it cook. Yeah. And they don't it's let just it cook. like they're making, they're going through, uh, you know, it's like saying, I know how to calcon bugle really well. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what? The kill rate is under 10% on over the counter, but out of the thousands that don't kill anything, they all know how to calcon bugle. So what's the problem? They can do it as good as you and I. Absolutely. It's the sequence. It's they don't make it believable. And they don't know how. That's exactly where together. we're going to get, because when we talk about being stuck in the rut, where we're going to get here in a few minutes, this is going to feed exactly into that. Uh, and I need to calm down here. No, it's, <laughs> no, it's, it's gold, man. I'm, I'm sitting here just like we're on the edge of our seat. So yeah, cool. you're all good. Oh, sure. I, I just want to make sure when we get that because you're ex- you're talking exactly about the formula. Why? Mm-hmm. So many people are failing out there, and uh, and we're going to hit Adam, them in it. Stick around, man. Stick around. Yeah. You're going to not want to miss this. Uh, <laughs> part of your question is going to be answered in the rest of this podcast for sure. But Great look, question. man, stay stay with them, and you know, yeah. don't go back to camp. You know, stay with them. They're yeah. going to be around where you're at at the at the end of the day. But fellas, let's get this party started, guys. You know what time it is? It's shout time out, for our Elk to our show. Shout out. This is just a shout out to a few cities topping our charts this week, Joe. Yep, absolutely, man. Chav, why don't you kick us off? 
Okay, uh, this week's top listening city is part of the Springfield metropolitan area. It was established as a crossroads station in 1850 for the Frisco Railroad. The Battle of Wilson's Creek was fought here and marked the beginning of the Civil War in Missouri. Missouri witnessed so many battles that it ranks as, as the third most fought over state in the nation during the Civil War. And this is in Republic, Missouri. Republic, Missouri. Yeah. Missouri or Missouri. We don't know. Where uh, oh, from. yeah. It depends it on where you're, where where you're at. Where you're from. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, guys. <laughs> All right. This small college town is just 18 miles from the capital of Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, commonly referred to as E-Town. It was a major manufacturing center in its heyday. It's uh It was home to the Klein Chocolate Company, now a part of the Mars Chocolate brand. A top hiking destination is the White Cliffs at Kanoe, a moonscape trail that overlooks the Susquehanna River. Ah, hit that. Elizabethtown, <laughs> Pennsylvania. <laughs> Elizabethtown, Pennsylvania. We've just gone from Missouri to Pennsylvania, y'all. The PA's in the house. East Coast. Is it Pennsylvania. <laughs> I would think so. Would think so. Up next, Luis. This town reaching natural. That's how my voice sounds after Guy, you, you know, goes first. <laughs> no, it's a whole lot worse when you did that. <laughs> yeah, no. I'm like some that's child that's, got up there. That's the, the contract makes it sound like that, you know. Right, I was like, right. So anyhow, this town reach, rich in natural resources lies 10 miles southwest of the Cimarron River in the Plains region of the Great Plains and was bypassed by early settlers that rushed to Oklahoma to settle the cheap land. This city became part of the massive panhandle Huguenot gas field in 1920. In 1963, the largest helium plant in the world, National Helium, was opened here, and it is home to the annual Pancake Day race at the Land of Oz exhibit from the Wizard of Oz, Liberal oh. Kansas. Liberal. And liberal Kansas. Actually, we've had Liberal Kansas. Uh, we've been at track meets with Liberal Kansas. Yeah, I have a fun fact, too, about Liberal Kansas. Uh, in 1973, that's 49 years ago, my college won the National Cross Country Championship in Liberal Kansas. Oh, wow. Oh, awesome. child. Good deal. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's awesome, man. Yeah, for those people, I don't know if you remember us telling you out there, but, uh, but Leroy Chavis, Chav up there is, uh, he's in the Hall of Fame, uh, for, uh, Eastern New Mexico, uh, as a cross country runner. Don't sell yourself short, Joe. Somebody else is in the Hall of Fame for coaching in New Mexico. I don't know who that guy is. Yeah, Yeah. but, but, but Chav earned it. (laughs) 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 Yeah, Chav, Chav, with the, if, if you ever saw where this guy ran cross country, man, I mean, where he had to train, it, is so flat out there, Portales. There's there's a water tower about how far is that water tower out there? <laughs> it's ten miles out of town, but uh seemed like forever sometimes. Wow, so you can watch your dog run away for three days. Huh? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You mm-hmm. it's flat. <laughs> flat as a pancake, yeah. Yeah. Our next top listening city got its name from a nearby confluence of the Mills River and French Broad River. It has awesome mountain history as many residents are direct descendants of the community's original landowners. Once a thriving agricultural community, 
It was often referred to as the Fertile Crescent of North Carolina, and that's in Mills River, North Carolina. North Carolina in the house. You stomping grounds over there, Joe. Yes, sir. Yep. And uh, you know what? I don't know any place in North Carolina that ain't fertile. It, I mean, out here, like when I try to grow something around my house, it's, it's a task, right? Yeah. You can sit on the back porch where I lived in North Carolina and spit watermelon seeds out. Yeah, and watermelon going to grow. Yeah, Watermelons are growing. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, we were the same way up in East Texas for a long time, man. You spit a watermelon seed out on the ground. Before you know it, you got a vine growing. It's like, <laughs> what is that? That's Absolutely. a watermelon vine, man, for sure. <laughs> Last awesome. Joe, this next top listening city is part of the Waller, Waterloo Cedar Rapids metro, metropolitan area. Incorporated in 1877, it was named after a congressman and a senator from Tennessee who had absolutely no connection to the area. <laughs> uh-huh. You see, back in 1851, the Iowa Assembly created the county boundaries and gave them names and many county names as in this case, were just randomly picked. It was also home to the Iowa State Fairgrounds, where politicians flocked to get their campaigns uh, rocking during the primaries. In Grundy Center, Iowa. Grundy Center, Iowa. Iowa. That is the heart of the USA right there, brother. Yeah. In, in Midtown, USA. I, I just thought that was really cool, man. They developed counties and they were like, well, let's name that county this. You know? yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> any name. Hey, <laughs> thanks to all of our listeners, man, all those cities out there. Um, it's really cool. And I had a phone call from somebody from the Midwest today out of, out of Wisconsin. And, uh, and I was asking him, he listens to the podcast quite a bit and I was asking him what he thought about, you know, how I always ask them about our shout outs. And he was like, Oh, I love them. And he said, and it's so funny when you guys try to say those Midwestern names out there, we're always laughing at how you try to pronounce <laughs> it. We butcher them. Yeah. Well, he's coming to New Mexico to hunt elk and that's what we were talking about. And he's like, Okay, payback time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Shoes on the same foot now. I know. Yeah, absolutely, man. Yeah. All right, so main content, and here's what we're here for. And, man, we're going to let you go, Paul, and we're going to get rocking, and I won't slow you down. No breaks this exactly. time. And what we All gas, no breaks. No, all gas, no breaks. How and why elk hunters get stuck in a rut and what we're talking about. There. Paul, you and I talked about this last year, and we talked about how the current script for most elk hunters, solo or partnered, you know, it's – everybody's doing the same thing. Like you said, everybody knows how to cow call. Everybody knows how to do a bugle. But 90% of the people are not filling tags out there. They got great equipment. They got the best gear ever made in the history of man. (laughs) The best bows. And they know that they can make a sound. But yet they are not doing what it takes to be able to bring an animal in and finish. And it's because they're stuck in the same, everybody's doing the same thing. In fact, you know, I, I talked to somebody about this that, you know, so many people have learned the model of they're just going to go and they're going to cover ground and find that one bull that wants to talk, that one bull that wants to come in and challenge. That's what they're looking for. They're looking for that one bull out of 20. And if you're looking for one bull out of 20, you're looking for 5% of the bulls. And if everybody's doing this, 
if 90% of the people out there are doing this, that means 90% of the people out there are hunting 5% of the bulls, right? So let's talk about how people are stuck in a rut. How do you see it, Paul? They don't call enough. I mean, the bottom line, they just don't call. People are intimidated to call, and, and, and most of the time, it's like anything in life. If something where you lack confidence or intimidated, it's because you got you. They don't do their homework. They they don't put the practice in. You know, they really do. The guys that really know what they're doing when it comes to calling, uh, and they sound good, and they do a lot of practicing. Their confidence is there, so they'll readily use a sound when it's necessary instead of shrinking back from it. And, and worrying about, I'm going to chase everything away if I make a sound right now. I know it because they don't have the confidence. And, and of course, what's couples with that is understanding what sound that you're going to use. And of course, if you know what sound you're going to use, you must know what sound you heard. And so guys are one dimensional out there. They really are. It's because of, I think a lot of it is the YouTube stuff. You know, how many times do you see shows come on? I don't care if it's YouTube or, outdoor channel and you're just seeing the successes and you're seeing the aggressive engagement and the defensive action on both sides. And these guys get all lifted up, you know, they get all pumped up and excited. They want to hunt elk like this. And so I think a lot of them are start, they go that direction or they don't call at all. Seriously, this is what I see out there. And in given a lot of the seminars and, and talking to people when I'm out there in the woods, you know, just a conversation we had a couple of days ago, I told you, uh, I, I had already called in, I don't know how many bulls on the hunt when we were in Arizona. And these guys are out there not finding anything. And, 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 and but they don't call. They just don't call. And when they do, it's a cow call. And, and, and so, and most of them aren't even carrying a bugle. So to me, what it is, is it's, it's like going up and playing baseball and you're the batter and you didn't bring a bat. You know, I mean, are you just looking for a walk? I mean, you're looking for the easy way out. But I'd love to say that everybody is calling horrible and calling terrible, and that's why they they fail. But people just don't call. And then when they do, they have no clue of what they're doing. And most people, when they hear a bull bugle, that's what they hear, a bull bugle. Yeah. They don't break it down to say, listen to the emotion of that sound. Mm -hmm. Was it kind of a... And that's about it. You know, I mean, what's a guy going to do? Run in there and start challenging this thing and screaming and, you know, because he saw it on TV. That bull was nowhere near uh, in that type of mindset or attitude to accept something like that. Now, did you run him off? Eh, elk aren't that dumb. I mean, you know, they're not that weak-minded. A lot of times they just shut up. Yeah, they're still over there somewhere. They just – they're not interested. This is not what they were looking for. So you need to be able to – adjust your way of thinking and adapt to the situation that you are presented with because these elk are flesh and blood like me and you. Not one of us on this out here, what, five, six of us, not one of us like everything that's the same. We just don't. We we, yeah. we have different personalities. Elk are no different. There's one thing that can work with them and and, and not work with another bull because of their, their mindset. The, there's nothing rutting. Say we're talking about pre-rut. And we have a bull with cows and we have three or four bachelor groups over here. Can you use the same tactic on both of those? Absolutely no. not. Mr. No. Paul, a quick question. And, and coming from, you know, the newest guy in the team and, you know, obviously tons to learn, uh, yet, 
Um, but you, 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 you gave an example, a scenario to where, you know, you hear a bugle, uh, a bull bugle, make a short bugle, and then, you know, what to do, right? You're a new guy out on the field, out on the field, hunting first, second time. You don't know much about their language yet. You know, what is a safe approach? I mean, if you're in a situation like that, what can you do to at least not mess it up, to give you the best chance, even when you don't know the plethora of behaviors that and sounds that they can emit, right? I mean, what what's a good safe approach for somebody starting out and saying, okay, well, yeah, something something simple that you know may may increase their opportunities as opposed to just you know. No, I hear you. I mean, that's a guy that just uh, decided conveniently he wanted to go elk hunting. Right. So, you know, he didn't do anything for preparation as right. far as understanding the quarry that he's after. But uh, no, no, yeah. The, the biggest thing for me is I evaluate the time of day instantly. That's my number one thing. When I catch a bull, I need to know where he is and where he's going to go. Is he already there? That type of thing. And it takes what, like two seconds. So I catch him at daylight. 15 minutes after daylight or whatever. I already know he's right there in his feeding area. He was where he spent the entire night, feed, water, whatever. He had us probably all within hundreds of yards of there. But he is right there. Now, what I'm referring to here is I want you guys to understand I'm talking about mountain elk here because I do realize that when you're hunting a lot of the Utah, Arizona, Nevada, flatter ground, these things move everywhere. They really don't even have much of a bedding area. Right. They will plop down wherever they feel like or get moved by satellites in a whim, but not mountain elk, not elk when, that are living in the timber or quaking aspens mm-hmm. or even in the junipers and whatnot. But when we're talking about, you know, elevations here, those type of elk have a, a specific bedding area that they are wanting to go to each day. They have a feeding area. Yeah. And, and, and watering, but, and they'll move every couple of weeks and establish a new area roughly, or they can get pushed out by pressure. But my point is, is that I need to know, okay, if I caught him in his bedding area and I heard one bugle, nothing else, that was it. That wouldn't be that bugle I just gave you because that bugle is more of a lethargic bedding. He's in his bed and he's just feeling his oats, you know, and and it's a nothing bugle. And and maybe he has a couple of cows. Maybe he's just yearning uh, for the oncoming rut. You, You could read a lot into that. Because there's really nothing really, there's no rhyme or reason to it. And you could cow call that bull 10 times or you could bugle him 10 times. And how many responses will you get? None. He's not saying a thing, but he's so callable. He is so callable. And so that bull right there, he's going to get a cow party. I promise you right now. And that's exactly how I'm going to suck him right in. There'll be no bull sounds. He's going to get nothing but cow sounds. Silent. A heavy dose. I mean a monster heavy dose of six to seven cows, whatever I can produce if I'm solo. If there's two or three, we're all going to have three or four cow calls, and we are going to hammer that situation right there. We're not going to move. We'll probably hammer it for close to six, seven, eight minutes, up and down, up and down, with a couple of contact buzzes, letting him know there's other elk still out there that haven't come into the fold yet, and she's calling them in. So you got to really make it real when you're doing it. You're not just sitting there making a couple of social sounds, trying to sound like a cow. You're letting him know there's a group moving into the area, and now they're there. And as you continue with sporadically with the cow sounds, he knows they're probably taking root there or bedding in that area, and, and you just keep it up. 
and he will suck them in like you cannot believe. He'll come out of curiosity, but rarely will you ever hear him make a sound. And a lot of times there's other elk out there because elk are herd animals and you will, sl- the other ones will come in slipping in silently. Silent, yeah. And very rare will they ever come in downwind of you. They usually will take the shortest uh, uh, route to you. And so I like doing this where I know elk are or I heard one. Or I heard something a distance. And when I set up on elk like this, I do not want to be any closer than 250 yards. I, there is none of this 100-yard business. That is for aggressive bulls. And guys have to understand that. So a newcomer coming in to give him one thing. If I was to tell a guy one thing is all he has to learn so he can get his feet wet, he needs to learn the cow party. The cow party can attract any elk. Now, if he's if he's that new, he's probably just kind of, you know, if it's brown, it's down or whatever the case may be. But you're not going to call a lot of herd bulls in, especially if he has a hot cow. But any other elk in that vicinity, they are going to show up. And how do I know this? Because I'm talking from experience, from so many years of doing this. And you set up and you do this. And if there's at least two of you, you face each other. There's three of you, little triangle, and you face each other. So you have a 360 view because these elk will sleep, sl- slip in. From the spot you never think they're coming from. We did this last year, a couple of us, and we ended up calling seven different bulls in and a lot of cows and spikes. And, I mean, when they come in, they just come slipping, slipping. They're looking, looking, looking. And then they'll stop and feed. And then they'll look up again. I mean, there was five, six points, everything. And they would just slip in. And, I mean, I mean, there wasn't a one of them that didn't come into 20 yards. Everyone, they're in search mode. And you're just sitting there. You're not moving. And the wind's right. They just Mm. come in the shortest. We had heard a bugle on this one probably – over a quarter mile away, but I didn't want to get no closer. So you just set up. And when you're doing that, like I say, you're just going through an array of sounds and not one of you is ever calling at the same time. You guys can't be that synchronized. It's impossible. Even if you tried, it, it just doesn't work that way. So we're casting them left, right above us, behind us. And it just sounds so real when I'm doing it. So when I'm doing it and I'm by myself, I try to take four or five cow calls and just root down and if you, I don't know if you guys have ever tried it, yeah. but for that persistent <laughs> oh, yeah. and that length of time. Oh yeah. yeah. And hammer it. And sometimes, you know, my, it's how I killed my bull this year. There you exactly. go. Had no, we had quit the calling sequence and didn't think anything was coming. We're yeah. standing shooting video of ducks in a wallow. Okay. And I happen to turn and look to my right and the bull walks in within 15 yards of us. And we're just standing there in a, in a, a thicket of aspens and he has no clue we're there, but we'd been there the whole time having this big party. And, mm-hmm. you know, we had heard him one time once in mm-hmm. an hour and a half, two hours. And we just kept having our own party up there, having our own party up there. And he was following us the whole time. We just didn't know. It. We didn't stay in one place place long enough, right? Yep. And we probably sat there 25, 30 minutes, and the bull walks right in, and we kill him. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, crazy. I've I never seen anything like that before, but that is exactly what we did, Mr. Paul. Well, well what yeah. I want to point out here, though, what I want to point out that's real critical is that what Paul is talking about is so different than the norm. And here's what I mean by that. And here's what I find is almost every hunter out there wants to directly engage another bull. So they hear that bull up there on the top. So they're going to sit there and they're going to cow call at that bull or they're going to bugle at that bull. They want to engage with that Mm -hmm. bull and try to get that bull to 
you know, to work or to, to respond and to come into them. They directly engage. People do not disengage and call. And when you're talking about a cow party, when you're talking about a rut fest, when you're talking about, um, a tending sequence or a breeding sequence or anything like that, I, I, I try to tell you that is disengagement. You know, even though that's your target animal, that's my target bull that's up there on that, that's made that noise. Well, I'm going to bring him in, not by calling at him, but by doing my own thing so that he wants to come to where I'm at, right? So I'm not, I'm not challenging him. I'm not engaging him. I'm ignoring him, even though he's, you know, look, a woman knows when yeah. she goes in there and ignores a man, she knows the effect it has on. She don't have to look at him to get his attention, right? And it's the same thing when <laughs> when you're doing this with these elk. When you make them, whether that whether that need is because of their uh, their need to because they're herd animals, or if it's breeding, right? Um, whichever, or they're being territorial. Any of those things that you're doing there, there are ways to bring them to you. If you have a herd bull that has cows that that, that bull does not want to leave, but is surrounded by satellites, well, you can disengage, give your own party, give him some lower-hanging fruit, and bring them to you instead of you having to directly engage. And I think... That is, you know, because, Paul, everything that you talk about when you talk about your sequences, when you talk about your cow party, when you talk about your breeding sequence and those different things like that, you are putting on, you are painting a picture. You're putting on a show. You're creating an environment that another elk is interested in for the various reasons, either because they want to breed or they want to be part of the herd. You know, they're looking to get with the cow. Maybe they're in buddy mode. You know, there's different reasons in what mode that animal is in, and you give them something to attract that particular mode. And I think this is the big thing that most people don't understand. This is not the same old thing. It's, it's used by very few people. Oh, when you use the cow party, how long do you wait before you move out of that area? If you've heard a bull in that area, close to an hour. Yeah, <clears throat> usually, yeah, and and rarely does it take that long. Yeah. Most of the time, I'm going to say I have elk coming in in ten to fifteen minutes, and I'm talking about over the counter, sure. you know, elk hunts on public land here. And so, ten to fifteen minutes, usually thirty minutes. Uh, by then, even a second dose of elk can come in from a different direction. So you just never know. It's like Joe just said, you know, elk are herd animals and you can draw on the curiosity. And as you get closer to uh, writing times, once a bull that's in an area gets that estrus smell in his nose just one time, he is, he's just toast for the rest of the season. And so what he, when he's hearing these cows and he's not familiar with their sound because these bulls, they know the sound of all the elk in their area. And it's very common for new elk to move in and out of an area because they get busted by predators, hunters. It pushes them around. But these bulls, they want to scent check these cows that they're unfamiliar with. They want to know. And because they've got that estrus scent in their nose once already. And so it, it really brings that, you know, the, the, the notion of breeding. Uh, uh, first place in their mind. So this is something that really interests them now. It's, it's beyond that. I'm a, I'm, I'm, I'm an elk and they're an elk and this is a, 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 a herd thing. No, no, no. This is, goes well beyond, uh, that now. And so as it develops and things starts carrying on, I will start getting more aggressive. I will now 
uh, take the cow party aside and I will go to the breeding sequence because when I'm going into the breeding sequence, again, you have to know how to do it right. When you're, when you're messing with a breeding sequence, you have to be able to make sure that you're using the sounds that's going to promote uh, interest from the other elk. And so, you know, a lot of guys, you know, I, I want to give an example because yeah, when, when I'm cow calling, and I'm talking, you know, and, and, and I'm going to use some, some cow chatter here where I'm trying to, to, uh, uh, draw some attention to other elk. Turn this light on. I don't know if that's going to mess anything up, but I can't yeah, see yeah, it. Yeah, you good, brother. Actually, so, better. You were kind of guy duplancheing it there for a little while, man. <laughs> I look, was at this, look at this light I got because you I know, that. dude. I was <laughs> like, we can see you now, man. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I mean, and you know, I, I, I like doing a couple cows and, 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 and sometimes beyond that, but I'm going to keep it more simple. I'll do it like a calf sound. See how nice and light that is. Oh, wow, and then wow. I can go. And so I'm, I'm giving stuff like that and I'll have my reed in my mouth. Huh. And so I'll mix it up. And of course, you know, I'm, I'm dancing it around and I usually even have another one or two with me at cow calls. And, and so I'll keep that up. All right now, he's, he's turning and throwing his calls in different directions, especially in a real situation. Absolutely. You know, and, and, and so I'm going to, so I'm talking about a breeding sequence here. I have a drink of water. <laughs> I'm talking about a breeding sequence where I'm just really going through it. I'm not trying to be fast, but I'm wanting them to think that the sounds are coming from everywhere and these elk are coming in. And like I said, I'll even kind of give them. And you only want to do that very sparingly. And all that's letting a, any elk that are within earshot know is that there's other elk than those right there. And they're giving them the direction to come on over. Because a cow does not use a contact buzz as just a social event. No, she's talking to something that isn't right there, letting them know to come on over, come on over. So see, and that's, a, that's about how she'll use that sound. You're not going to hear her do this. That's too much urgency and demanding that there's a threat in the area. So you have to make sure you do it on a very mild one or two. That's it. She won't do many more than that. And every couple minutes, I will do that and make it very real. So when I'm bringing the bull sounds in, I may start raking because this is a breeding sequence, not a cow party. So I may start raking and just moving the, the brush around a little bit and kind of just... <laughs> And just kind of give a couple little, you know, a little growly pants or even a wee, kind of a. And, you know, he's just feeling it, you know, and, and because he's with all these cows and I'll go ahead and go back to the raking. And then what I'll do is I've gone through this for a couple of minutes. I will make another bull think that I've got a hot cow there. And so I'm going to kind of go into a, a quick little glunking situation. And you, you probably all heard bulls do it this way. This is as they start getting excited. He not only glunks, and you have to understand when a bull glunks, he's not going. He's not doing that. Listen to bulls glunking. Get it on tape. Get it on the Elknet app. You'll hear him. And they'll usually give anywhere from five to eight, and they'll go something like this. 
That's about what they're doing when they're when they're glunking. And a lot of times when they're really getting excited, they'll throw a bugle out. So I'm all ready, and I'm doing all my cow sounds. I'm raking. I'm giving a few little pants and a little bit of growl, just really feeling it, and kind of go. <laughs> And you'll hear a bull do that. He gets real excited, not even talking to any other elk. He just right. gets very excited in his situation that he's presented with, and you'll hear him glunk, glunk, glunk. Sometimes he'll just go through a series of chuckles. You can even start that way and go through your little menagerie again and doing everything, and then go ahead and give the glunks again and 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 and, and go ahead and give that scream. But so many times when you're making it real, but to just give a, a bugle like this, And and glunk, that's not going to cut it. That does not fit the situation. I'm not saying you can't do it. It doesn't fit the situation. When a bull gets excited like that and you're performing the breeding sequence and you're going through the cow calling and the raking and the glunking and the pant, you want to hit that scream real fast. It shows you how he's just feeling what he is feeling for the situation he is in, and it sells it that much more. And, boy, I'll tell you what. You will get bulls. Sometimes they'll start engaging you once you get all pumped up and excited. Other times it just promotes them to come right on in. So, see, that is a breeding sequence type right there. That is nothing like a cow party. Well, the period of time in which you would recommend – the breeding sequence should take place because we were talking about the ingredients, but maybe just kind of trying to throw them all in at the same time. But, you know, obviously you, you kind of fast forward it through the whole scenario, but mm-hmm. normally yes. if you follow step by step uh, through those, how long would it take you to like, to, for you to take the time to actually do the breathing sequence? You know, distance is everything. I, I, I'm thinking back in my mind and actual events where I pull bulls in. Uh, because believe it or not, it does happen that you're going to go through a sequence and nothing comes in and right. it, it just happened. That's hunting, you know, yeah. but it happens enough positively that it keeps you doing them. Um, but I'm going to say that it's very common 15 minutes, maybe 20 at the most before they show up. But with the natural, but, but I'm willing to go 45. Yeah. So don't, don't forget that part. I'm willing to go longer, but, but Luis, I think when you're talking about how you're putting the calls out there, you just got to do it in a natural. It's not like you're just going to go, yeah, 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 right. you know, just to fill the air. You know, you, you play that part. And if you've ever heard real elk when they're doing that and you're just being natural to that and you, you know, get have fun. Kind of put in pauses between the, the back and forth. Oh, and, and there's some of it that, you know, it's quick, quick pause or you know, here, 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 here. You know, you don't want to give the same thing all the time. You just enjoy and playing that part and, and kind of putting that out there like you've heard other animals do. Yeah, it. And I think, I think what you, you've said before, Joe, too, about painting the picture, I think it helps so much when you, in your mind, you're seeing these animals interacting and doing this stuff because then you kind of go at the pace in which you're imagining the animal in the wood actually communicating versus just simply reading through the script as fast as you can, right? So you just simply kind of play it in your head as you're seeing the animals actually doing it because then that also transmit, you know, the, the, the emotion that is in the animal at the moment of the call. But, but, but to go back to what we're talking about and why folks are stuck in the rut, we're not, there's so many consumptives, right? 
And most of those consumptives, we're not focused on behavior and biology right. and things like that. We're focused on fitness and tink. We, st- what do we start off with that Joe said we could talk about forever is mm-hmm. tinkering, right? Mm-hmm. While you're stuck mm-hmm. in the rut. I mean, how much time are we spending building arrows, shooting our bows, worried about fitness and watching YouTube? Like Paul said, yeah. and we're not focused on behavior and, right. and picking up those, those learning tools yeah. that we could take in the woods, like the elk nut app and really paying attention to what that's taking us through and the content of those, those consumptives and taking that tool into the woods. I mean, that's where I see the, if you look at last year on, on my hunt, I mean, it was phenomenal. I, I, I said, you know what? I want behavior to be my thing going into 2021 season. And I called in so many freaking animals to the point where I would sit back and I, Hey, hold on. No, let's just watch those elk and yeah. see what those elk do and understand why they're doing what they do. There you go. Absolutely. I mean, the education that's, and I think I said that on the, uh, the last episode. And substitute it. Yep. Yeah. We got to pay attention to those things. I, Paul could tell me how to call and sequence all day. If I'm not listening to Paul. It doesn't make us, it, it doesn't make a difference. I'm going to listen to him here and then I'm going to go and I'm going to shoot my bow and I'm going to build arrows for six hours. Yeah. Uh, no. Paul, let me ask you a question. When you're using the, when you're, so you, you typically use four or five different reads and or external calls when you're doing the cow party, correct? Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So you sound different. Yeah. So everyone is they all have a different, different They all tone. have a different tone. But yeah. when I'm doing a breeding sequence, yeah. I, I believe it or not, usually like a couple of them. Yeah. And, and that's it. But, Makes but the sense. thing is, 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 is it's right along the same line you guys are talking is you have a full sand challenge. You have a breeding sequence. You have the slow play and you have the cow party. If a guy would learn those four things, you can apply one of those to any encounter Sorry. you will ever come across. And if you want to add, throw in the advertising sequence, you can, but you don't need to. If you just learn those four, and it's not a big deal to understand those four, learn them. Yeah. When are you going to use a full send challenge? You will only use it on aggressive, defensive bulls. That's it. You must be closer than 125, 100, or inside. I've called plenty of them at 125 yards. And that's yards, a direct but, engagement. That's a direct engagement. Yeah, but I would rather be inside of 100. But that is an aggressive, defensive action. I mean, this is full tilt. This is what it's going to take right there to, to kill that bull. And the reason is he's either he's either being very, very vocal. He's bugling a ton because he's defensive over his area. He may be bugling you, or he may have a hot cow, and there's two or three other ones competing for that hot cow. So that is he a – draws that a line a in the sand and says, don't come yeah. here. Yeah. And, and if I get up there and that bull's right here, and all of a sudden there's two or three satellites underneath him, and I can't get to the herd bull because they're in the way. So I will, I will now get back to about 350, 400 yards and I will bugle my way right to the herd bull. I will bugle every 30 yards. And what that does is it takes those satellites and splits them out of the way. They will not stay there long enough for you to walk up and put an arrow in them. They move, but the herd bull won't move because he's been there harassed for hours. He ain't running for them two or three. He ain't running from you either, but he it will split the waters. It'll move the cows out of the way too. All you got to do is keep bugling your way right at him and it'll just part the ways and it gives you an avenue to where now you can go to a full send challenge on the guy or you call his cows away. Grinders tuning in. Thank you for listening to the Blue Collar Elk Hunting Podcast. 
Our goal is to share our knowledge and help you flatten that learning curve so that you too can have some of the very same incredible experiences that have given all of us here at Elk Bros a lifetime of memories. If you like what you hear or see, you can get all of this information plus so much more from our Base Camp Elk Hunting Training Camp, the first in a series of online courses from our Blue Collar Elk Academy. Our Base Camp Training Camp allows me to use my coaching style and share almost 40 years of elk hunting experiences successfully hunting elk on public lands as well as over 20 years guiding hunters of all ages and experience levels. This course will be like nothing you have ever experienced in concept and structure using success-based coaching techniques that will elevate your confidence and skill sets. Our camp will prepare you specifically from that final moment most in your control, those final minutes or seconds the elk is in front of you, backwards through each step and level, allowing you to see, visualize, understand, and relate every coaching point to what lies ahead, the next step, the next thought process, the next success. Because, y'all, you've already been there. You know what it looks like. By tapping my 30 years of teaching and coaching experience, our camps are developed considering multiple learning modes with text, visuals, audio, as well as video. And Base Camp will benefit those new to elk hunting all the way to the 10 to 15 year vet. So if you are looking for that one thing to help you fill that tag this year, invest in the most important piece of equipment there is, you and your elk hunting knowledge. You can find the Blue Collar Elk Hunting Academy and the Base Camp Training Camp at elkbros.com. That's E-L-K-B-R-O-S dot com. Keep dreaming of the screaming, believing in achieving, and most of all, keep grinding. And and, and that's one of my biggest things is when I get in, I'm going to work a bull with that. I'm either going to call his cows away or I'm go- if I can get close enough, I'm definitely just going to go ahead and challenge him and the full send challenges, the nervous grunt and the, the, the actual challenge bugle. Whereas when I'm calling the cows away, I'm usually going to give a couple cow sounds and then a short lip ball, or I'm going to go straight into the lip ball trying to call the cows away. And, and the thing is, is that the herd bull knows who I'm talking to. And so by understanding that you can take your call and just go, you see, and, and it's all in one note. You didn't hear me hesitate when I gave the cow sounds. I gave the cow sounds and go straight into the bugle to that short lip ball. And, yeah. and, 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 and there's no distinction. Like, was that accountable? There's no doubt about it to the bull. This was the bull doing this. And I've watched satellites do this. So a lot of times when I get in there and I give the full send challenge on him, he reacts. I mean, just so fast. And when he does, he's going to be very upset and defensive for me to get the heck out of there. And not, you know, come right up there and be so ballsy to call that cow right up from under him. But, and I could go on what I'm going to do next, but it doesn't really matter. My point is, is that's when I'm going to use something like that. Now, if I have that same situation and I'm like, oh man, I'm well, I'm, I'm be happy as heck to kill one of them five points, you know, the satellites, I'm going straight to a breeding sequence. I am not going to mess around with a full send challenge. I'm not going to the cow party, which would probably work. But the breeding sequence is a much faster, high energy. I'm including a bull, which would brought them there in the first place. That's why they're there, because that bull has a hot cow. So I'm going to imitate the same thing and try to get those, those, those satellites 
in competition to each other to get over there to me. So I found over the years that this is the perfect time to use it. It doesn't mean I can't use it somewhere else, but it's a perfect time. Now, if I get a bull that responds back or I hear him on his own and I will, that's a pretty good bull. Can't see anything, but I only heard one bugle from him. What am I going to do with him? Full sand challenge? No, it no. won't work. And I'm not going to go to the breeding sequence because I don't need to take that long with it. I don't think it's really going to be that good. And he's got a pretty good bugle to him. I think this is a mature bull. And he probably has cows, but nothing's in heat. So I'm going to give him what he's looking for. I'm going to go straight to the slow play. So see, that's where the slow play is ingrained. So now I have an avenue for the slow play, the breeding sequence, full sand challenge. Where does the cow party come in? The cow party comes in on that lethargic bull, or I heard a bugle way off and it won't say anything else, or I saw elk go in some, into the timber way up ahead. I know I can get within a few hundred yards. They're not saying a thing, nothing. I'm going to cow party. I'm not going to go to slow play. I'm not going to the breeding. Doesn't mean they won't work, but I don't want to sit there going through this thing for 25, 30 minutes when I know this is faster. And so these are the things that this is how I'm picking one over the other. It's not science. It's nothing to it. It's just what I have found to work really, really well. So if you can just dig in and figure out how to do those four things and when each one applies, it's a no-brainer and you will call a ton of bulls in. Now just practice your sounds so you know which ones they expect to hear at that time during the sequence or tactic that you've chosen. And even, you know, one of the scenarios that I think a lot of hunters come up against and a lot of them give up on is – when public land is next to private land and those animals end up going over and you can just hear them screaming and screaming over there and they just go like, oh, it's done. There's no way they're going to come over here because mm-hmm. they're, they're safe down there. You know, they're, they're doing their thing and not with us in the woods. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, and that's not the case. That's one of my favorite situations to deal with yeah. because you can bring bulls back over to you if they have a reason to come. Right. Right. And what do you what do you do? I know what I do. I want to know what you do. Yeah. So we actually have two things. One thing that you haven't talked about that we kind of do is we do a thing called a rut fest. Uh, and and basically we're making it sound like we're putting on our own party where mm-hmm. we sound like multiple bulls. You know, you have one bull that has a hot cow. You're setting up that story and you sound like other bulls that are coming in from different directions. Mm-hmm. We'll even play the parts in different, you know, as we're in our triangle or we're in our square, however we want to do it mm-hmm. and we can do that um we're just given the idea that there's a hot cow up in there and giving them a reason if they're hearing those multiple bulls and they mm-hmm. hear a bull that is demonstrating to his cows and letting the other bulls know to stay away once they start to get engaged close and everything starts to escalate well now other bulls you know they might not be able to smell it because there is no smell, right? There's nothing for them to smell, right? But they are hearing it. When they hear that sound, it signals in them that there's a hot cow over there. I mean, mm-hmm. I've I've literally had, and when I learned this, Gilbert and I were <clears throat> on a bull that had about 15 cows. Got perfectly in position where we were between in that the- bull and his cows. And I was like, buddy, it's on, man. We're, we're gonna, we're gonna kill this cow in no time. Big bull. Big, big bull. All of a sudden, we start hearing multiple bulls bugling in another area. And I'm like, there's no way this guy, he's gonna stay right here with these cows. Well, he didn't have a hot cow. He's tending them, but he didn't have a hot cow. And he just turned and walked 
off. I mean, left us. Left them. <laughs> and, I mean, that was a big lesson at that time that if a bull has cows and none of those cows are hot, he knows where they're at. He knows where he's mm-hmm. going to be able to get to them. And he, he finds out there's another hot cow someplace else. Well, he's yeah. going after it. So we've, I've done that. I've also used where I've developed a, a, a tending breeding sequence and actually had that moving away and then came back in between with a lost cow. Yeah. Lost cow, lost calf, mm-hmm. so that it was like some low-hanging fruit between the main group and the other one. And, I mean, had bulls just really come to that. You know? Long ways off, too, man. I'm talking three-quarters mm-hmm. of a mile off. You know, you hear them, and then you get to that lost cow. Or, and it really mimics the slow play, right? And, man, that bull just can't take it. He's got to come. He's got to see what's over. It does, over. but it doesn't because it's very aggressive, man. I mean, it's yeah. that bull is – you know how bulls are advertising when their group's going to a destination? Well, it seems like it's that part of the day sometimes when they get up on a ridge, and they're not sure if they want to – Drop off to the other side. They're here in activity, so they kind of come back, and then they Mm -hmm. go. And so I find that by moving away from my target bull, not engaging, but by moving away, sounding like that bull that has cows with him, that has other bulls that are interested in what's going on there, and trying to keep tending that as I'm going, and then come back in between and come back and start throwing that lost calf and lost cow in there, it becomes... Uh, a magnet for those bulls mm-hmm. to come to because you know those other satellites are like who knows they've been getting their butt kicked over there for how long by that other herd bull and they haven't been able to pull it off or maybe they did and it's not their turn and now they're moving mm-hmm. off and they're going to go for that low-hanging fruit and it's been extremely effective so mm-hmm. that, how would you handle how would you handle that paul on a bull that's on a you know he's across in a in a private situation, you're on public, he's in private. How would you handle that, right? Well, 25 years ago, I came out with a video, and it's called The Threat. <laughs> okay. And, it's, and, and so ba- it basically what, what I'm doing is along the same lines of creating a rut fest is I steal their thunder. And that's the biggest right. thing is you're trying to – and so that's what you're doing. If you can – when you're hearing the actual thing, you'll hear it pulling bulls from all over the place. Yep. You know what I mean? Even though they're on the wrong side of the fence. Well, when you steal their thunder, and I, that's exactly the name of it on that video, volume four, it's called the threat. So I'm posing a threat, uh, uh of just a, an entire screaming bull, even though he has a hot cow, you know, maybe it's not the best title for it, but it's exactly the same thing that you guys are referring to creating a rut fest that you have a hot cow. And sometimes, yes, we are incorporating a couple bulls. And, but when we do do that, these days, uh, as probably maybe 10, 12 years ago, we will actually go in and smack the antlers together. I carry elk antlers with me oh, when cool. I'm in the woods. So a lot of times I do want to be as realistic as possible. I'll also use them on a slow play. If I think the slow play is taking too long, I know the bull's there. I already heard him. Is I will now engage in a second bull like he's coming over to me until we both come and start smacking the antlers that are competing for that hot cow Next that we've been demonstrating the entire time. And, oh yeah, I've sucked bulls right in doing that. So, but, but, but trying to pull them from a distance like that, if I can steal their thunder and out bugle them, and especially with a ton of lip balling, you know, that's what makes it so realistic as he's trying to keep containment over this hot cow. But it doesn't mean that a bull will not use a lip ball towards another bull. So a, a lot of guys will think that, but it's not true because we're the ones giving him the name 
a lip ball is a sign of emotion. That's all it is. It's a sound of emotion that can be used for a cow, a bull, the same as a grunt, a chuckle, a challenge bugle. It makes no difference. They use it on all of them, just the same as if you would yell at your wife or another friend. You know, it doesn't change. So, I don't yell at my wife, Paul. I don't yell. No, I don't yell at nobody's <laughs> wife. That would get you killed. I met my own wife. <laughs> but at the same time, no, the threat, the, the threat has always been – just a monstrous. The the threat is a a really good thing. The only problem with it is I never get to use it every year. I I, right. I use the threat probably every five or six years. It, I don't hunt near private though, nowhere near it, and and so I don't have that issue where I can't uh, you know move forward. Well, it it can even be else. that it that you have a boundary for a hunt unit as well. So I mean that happens. Yeah. And and see here in New Mexico, it's not like Colorado. I know what you mean though. Yes. Yeah. In Colorado, you can go, you know, from area to area to area. When we're given a unit, if yeah. we have twenty-two thousand acres, that's that's it. That's what yeah. we have. Yeah. Exactly. So if if they're on another area, you know, yeah. then you've got you to create your opportunity. And and I think it's important for people to understand is that we've gotten good at it though. I I can pull the bull or his or the satellites. Yeah. yeah. Or and 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 this is where people forget is. It's it's that cow man that's she determines who she wants to breed with. If oh, I'm yeah. acting like a bigger, badder, stronger bull, I can actually pull those cows to me. So if I'm pulling cows, you're going to pull bulls. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's 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 going to happen that as well. So I can pull them back across. Like you said, I can steal his thunder. Yeah. Basically. And I like that you mentioned that you called a lot of cows because, yeah, I've called hundreds of cows over the year with nothing but a bugle. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it's not because they, you know, I was such a big bad caller. It's just, it, it they works when you, yeah. and a lot of times it's the squeaky wheel that gets the attention. The Greeks, it's the yeah. persistence, just the screaming. It's just a nonstop. It's just, and, and I'm mixing it up. I'm that cookie cutter and I'm sure you're probably doing the same thing. And a lot of times I'll double or triple a bugle, you know, I mean, I'll just, I'll do whatever I think it's going to take yeah. and, and everything in between, even nervous grunts, I'll hit it all and just create this animosity. And when you're not just doing one or two sounds like you're saying, and you're just keeping it up, it definitely drums up business. That's why we've done it for so many years. It, I mean, we don't do it all the time though. It's, yeah. it's only where that occasion can imagine a new hunter. He goes and tries it and he calls a bull in. Now he's tried it the next 10, 15 times and nothing. Right, you know, right. because he gets it in his head that it worked on this bull. Why isn't it working yeah. on them all? Sure. And and when people start realizing that each one has its place, that's when you start becoming a lot better elk hunter. Right there, so, you start understanding it. So, Paul, if you say the the most important are the four tools that you've talked about, could you demonstrate what those four tools look like? Well, it's a scenario. Uh, so, you know, four scenarios that you it's have. It's the same thing. It's a right. the full sand challenge. I mean, basically, all that means is. You are in a situation that it fits. Yeah. Okay. I don't have this lethargic bed bugle. I don't, you know, I don't have a, a where one bull has given me a, a single bugle. Uh, I have a, a writing situation or I have a bull that's defensive over his, his piece of ground. Now, how do I know which one's which? Here's how I tell <clears throat> when I have a bull that I know is bugling his way up the mountain and it's early in the morning. And he's bugling and nothing else is answering him. Nothing. I already know that this bull, uh, most likely doesn't have a hot cow, yeah. but he may have some cows and he's just 
they were just prodding each other because he's not leading the way. The cows are leading the way, but he will bugle. And why is he bugling? A lot of times he's bugling just advertising himself to draw in other cows that may be within earshot to join his ranks of two or six cows, whatever he has, and they'll make their way on up until they finally get to their destination, which is generally their bedding area. And if that bull continues to bugle every few minutes, every two minutes, whatever it is, I already know what he's doing. He's trying to draw attention to himself. He's advertising himself in his position. He's trying to build his harem. It's exactly what he's doing. I can get in and advertise or display myself. I'll try to get within 150 yards of his area that he's calling his own now, and this guy is toast. He is no way in heck is he going to allow another bull to intrude in his piece of real estate that he has claimed. I do not need to go in there and cow call him. I can, and it could probably work because I've done that too, where I cow called and he just came went ballistic. But I've also heard a bull do it and go in there and cow call, and he says nothing, nothing. Go to the bugle, wham, and he is just fired up. So which, what am I going to stay with? I'm going to stay with what's kicking his butt. And yeah, so start displaying, and here he yeah. comes. He's not going to stand for it. So in that case, when that bull is not being harassed by other bulls, I already know he doesn't have a hot cow. He's just advertising himself, his position, yeah. and trying to, to draw attention to himself or other elk. It's, it's, it's the breeding season. That's what it is. And the other elk meaning cows. So that is where I'm going to go ahead and try to go. I can definitely go into a full fan. If I think for a second when I'm working that bull, and I'm playing him like a fiddle, I'm not kidding you. I mean – When I hear him bugle, and then I'm bugle, and then he bugles again, and I cut him off, then he's going to try to cut me off. And as soon as he hits that 80-yard mark, if he hangs up at all, even a little bit, and I'm talking even 30 seconds, that is when he's going to get top of the food chain bugle. And 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 that is when I give him, you know, I went back and forth. We're both kind of getting heated up. Okay, that's not a location bugle. You can tell he's getting fired up. I'm getting fired up. And as soon as he breaks the distance where I know he is right in there, but he's not coming fast enough, sometimes they just charge in. But when he doesn't, if I don't beat him to it, this is what you're going to hear from this bull. But I try to beat him to it. But even if he beats me to it, I can still give it back, and here he comes on a run. I can't tell you how many bulls my son and I have killed when this is the last sound they ever heard. But just hit him with it. You hit them with that sound right there. Show yourself. They're done. Oh, yeah, but hit with the scream, the challenge. The scream after. Right behind it. You want to see him. You want a visual. And at the same time, you're basically drawing a line in the sand telling him, don't you dare cross it. But where are you? You're in his bedding area. I mean, you're Uh, slapping him in the face. That's telling him, you know what? I kind of like this spot. I think I'm going to run your butt out of here and I'm going to take this spot. I mean, basically this is really all you're doing. You're challenging him. But when I hit them with that bugle right there, and I don't know how many times you've ever paid attention on a close encounter when you're hearing the final bugles and maybe you didn't even kill him. You'll hear him make that sound. And that's what he's telling you. So when I hear it, if he beats me to it, I hit him right back. And I usually will have it just bulldoze right through. I mean, that's it. I have hardly ever had a bull turn around and run and leave. They so just how, come right in at you. So how are those 90% of hunters out there failing? How are they handling that situation? That's they don't even know that sound. They have no clue of that sound that even exists, and they're just hearing bugles. You know, they come on, and and you know what? They get so excited when they're talking to you that they got in this big screaming match, you know, four or five times in the week, and they never killed anything. And, of course, you know, the bull loses interest, and off they go. And why did they lose interest? 
because the bull was warning them to stay back or else. What did they, they do? They stayed, they stayed back, back exactly <laughs> like he asked them to, yeah. and then the bull loses interest and walks off. So yeah. see, you, you can't you can't let him do that to you. And that to your question, that's one of their biggest faults right there. They don't understand the situation when they're in it. It's the same as when you're cow calling, and I don't care what cow call you're using, and the bull is chuckling you and giving you a short scream or whatever he is, and he's only 100, 125, 150, whatever it is, and you're not coming. He's telling you to come on over there, and you're not doing it. Now, unless you give him a reason why you're not coming, he knows something's wrong. I mean, we're, you know, most of these elk that us guys like yourself are hunting – They've seen hunters before. They've seen the imposters, and they know that when they call an actual real live elk and ask her to come over, she usually will make a way or give a sound or whatever it is to calm the situation down, and she's coming. Well, see, hunters don't do that. They think the bull's hanging up. They're hanging up. The bull's telling them to get over there. Come on. But they don't read it that way. They don't understand it. So they just keep cow calling and cow calling and cow calling. Sooner or later, the bull will either show up if you're lucky. But in most cases, he retreats and leaves the area. And I find that when I'm working a bull with cow calls, if he has a hot cow, he will not leave her. He will do everything in his power to draw this second, this, uh, this new addition. Obviously he wants a scent checker, you know, that's why he's trying to call her up there. And so he wants her to come. But I find if he doesn't have a hot cow, herd bull or satellite, it's much more easier. And it seems like he, he, he goes in that search mode and he'll leave those cows because what no bulls really interested in them. How many bulls are interested in cows that are not hot? They yeah. could care less. So I mean, if you've got crazy. a bull doing that, what's that cow sound going to sound like? What's oh. that? If you got a bull doing that and what's that cow, well, he's asking you to come. What's that cow sound going to sound like? And you're moving while it's happening, right? You're moving towards him. Well, I didn't, I wasn't calling him at first. You know, right. if, if right. I, if I was just cow calling, man, my mouth is dry. That's all right, brother. <laughs> if I was cow calling as far, as far as uh location, or I got in there. Maybe I heard a bull bugle 500 yeah. yards away. So I moved halfway. And so you test the waters. You know how it is. He kind chuckles of... at you. Yeah. And then I'm listening. If he responds, I already know he's in trouble. Because anytime – that's one of my biggest things, my son and I. When a bull answers a cow call, he's in trouble. Because they're very defensive. Very defensive. To that cow, especially when she comes in close. But that's what I'm doing right there now. If I'm asking the bull to come over to me as I move up, I am now going to change my tones, my tone or the cadence of the call, what a cow will do when she's inviting or asking the bull to come her way. And so she will change it like this. And she always drops that note off. Now, if he's not coming fast enough, but he keeps calling, I will start making my way to him, but I'm not running, but I'll lengthen my note out. I'll give him the old. And I'll give him that whine. I can't tell you how many times I've watched cows do this. Uh, to bulls and so i've used it and i call that the regathering mew now you can do it in a shorter version or you can get a little more demanding with it like i'm doing now you can even lengthen that tone out uh further and really when you're doing a lost cow it yeah. isn't much different than different, that yeah. right it really right. isn't it's almost yeah. the same thing guys are you know you're just throwing names on it regathering mew lost mm-hmm. cows the same mm-hmm. thing but i've watched cows leading i mean a dozen or more other cows and get way ahead of them 
and watch her turn around and make that sound. That must have been three seconds long. And I've watched him do it over a dozen times, just nonstop hitting it. And then when they weren't still showing up fast enough, you'd hear her go. And she's getting more urgent with them, demanding, get over here. Come on now. And that is some of the things I use on these bulls. If I'm going to make my way up to the bull and I can't get any closer, because if I can sneak in and kill him without calling, I'm going to do it. But a lot of times the country I hunt is so thick and brushy, downfall everywhere, that I can only get to a certain spot. That is when I hammer him with that contact buzz right there. Because I've already done everything to lead up to it, and now I'm demanding him to come over. Now, for some reason, he won't still budge or come close enough for the shot. That is when he's going to hear a bull sound right there and a lot of times i'm going to start off with just this as he's calling her he's trying to get her to come up there and i'll just kind of hit him with the and that's that's what i'll hit him with right there letting him know that a bull has stepped in and this bull is telling him to back off back off right now i've intercepted this my cow now and now you can engage Right there, because he's going to come over the top of you. I just called this cow in from 200 and something yards. Now you pulled in because you heard this whole, you know, thing going on. And sure. now I've been, now he knows why the cow's not coming any he, closer. Exactly. And you can kill that bull. So see, Luis, does, not, that, does that sound you know familiar, Luis? Does that sound familiar, bud? Yeah. <laughs> so we had, we had almost the exact situation where, uh, uh, Luis was calling for me and he was back giving the cow call. The bull came to a certain point and he stopped, you know, because he wasn't coming further. He's like, he's demanding to show yourself. He's telling, Mm -hmm. you know, come to me. And Luis just kept doing that call. And I was like, but you needed at that point to give him a reason why you're not coming to him. And, and and that's what they got to understand is just introduce that bull. And just introduce that bull, and that gives them that reason. So, yeah. And, you know, you were talking earlier about the advertising bull going up to, the, you know, how he's going along keeping his cows. That's actually another type of scenario that I use myself when other things aren't being that active. I try to create the action. So oh, I become that advertising bull sure. moving up a ridge and sounding like, you know, I got some cows here and there, but doing that advertising and just staying on that tee, moving up to that bedding area. Because again, if I get, if I get some other people to play with me, if I get some interest, if I'm selling it enough and they are coming, everything gets smaller at the top. Right. So uh, there's going to be a point where I can get up there now and actually be that bull in a bed and bring those other ones into me. So a lot of times I try to create the action, me being the advertising bull. Yeah, I've noticed that when I'm advertising, if I am not in the bedding area, I rarely ever get a sound from them. They just show up. Mm-hmm. But if I'm anywhere near their bedding area, meaning after 930, I now get an engagement. But prior to that, if I catch them between bedding and feeding, or even in the evening after they're leaving, hardly ever. They just come in. They come in and check it out. But catch them in those other areas, even though you've only heard one or two bugles and that's it. It, it, it just seems that they're much more uh, defensive for that little piece of real estate right there. And that's why early in this conversation here on the podcast, why I love, you know, you guys mentioned bedding areas. I love hunting the bedding areas because yes. I have a lot in my bag of tricks. And there's a lot of things that I can use 
or inject into a, 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 an encounter depending on the type of the bull that I think I'm working or I'm dealing with by his emotion, by his aggressiveness or lack of it, a, a no bugle, one bugle, whatever it is. You see, it's like, okay, I need to do this. And I can always ramp it up. But I can't ramp it up and bring it back down and, and, and make it right. believable. So right. I, you know, sometimes you got to test those waters. It's just like when you were talking about with Luis, when you were doing the cow calling, once it got to where things were, you know, really getting head to head, if yeah. he would have hit him with that full chin challenge right there with that grunt and that hard nervous grunt and that, I'm telling you, that bull would probably just come flying in there because you had already created the friction. In that area, and and, and you, like you said, he probably should have done something of that nature, but it depends how far the bull is. I will not use that if the bull's too far. I have to make sure he's no more in that 100, 115, something like that. Closer the better, but that's the time when yeah. you, when he was close. Up, he was right close. There. Joe yeah. could see him. He was close. Yeah. Well, then that's pretty close. Yeah, that's that's what you try to do right then and there. And, you know, no, I'm not trying to say this is going to work 100% of the time, yeah. but what you're trying to do is give yourself the best opportunity, opportunity. play the odds that this is probably mm-hmm. going to give me my best chance. I'm going to either kill him or I'm going to run him to a new zip code. It's one or the other. So <laughs> when you start seeing that bull do that side pace thing where he walks to one side and he stops and then he walks to the other side, basically flashing himself. Yeah, he paces. Yeah, he's just pacing back and forth. He's mm-hmm. he's saying, you know, okay, I've told you to come. I'm here. You should be able to see me. Why aren't you coming to me? So that's where I was talking about that, Luis. Yeah. It would have and come. usually that bull has cows when he's pacing. Mm-hmm. When he won't leave that spot and he just keeps working, he yeah. should, he probably has a cow or two over there. And, and oh yeah, I, I've gotten busted by that cow as I'm sli- <laughs> slipping in. Didn't know she so, was there. So let's. Oh, yeah. Let's turn this a little bit to another thing that people get stuck in a rut at and something that, and I don't know if it's stuck in a rut. It's probably just like the rest that we're talking about. It's a misunderstanding, right? It's not understanding what they should be doing to put themselves in an optimum position to be able to have to kill an elk. And that's the setup. setup. And the setup is probably – you know, even if they're doing things and they are, and, and Paul, they end up with a, an animal that is reacting and that bull's coming in and maybe it's when the animal's at its dumbest or they've done some things that were at the right time, the formula was right and the bull's coming in. But I hear so many people say that, well, I didn't have the shot or, you know, the animal hung up at here or, you know, the animal came and I could see him, you know, at a hundred yards and he just wouldn't come any sooner. I mean, any closer, right? Mm-hmm. So let's talk about how people get that problem area of setups. That's way too open. He's looking at a hundred yards. Oh, absolutely. So, I mean, you know, he's expecting to see you within a hundred yards. Yeah. You know, a lot of it is your collar. Uh, for sure, because your caller is running the, is running the show right then. The shooter is, remember, he doesn't even exist to the L. He has no clue this thing is even on the face of the earth. So the caller has to know his duty and how to set up as well as the shooter knowing where to set up. But the caller needs to be able to do everything in his power 
to see his shooter. I know sometimes it just can't happen, and it's happened to me that way, but I do everything in my power when I'm the caller, and my son too, is we need to see one another. He doesn't need to look back at me, and I don't need to look back at him if I'm the shooter. I just need to see his body language. I need to see when things are tense and when he's starting to hook things up, and I can tell, or he's turning to his right, and I'm like, oh, man, I need to move to my left. So as a as a caller, I already know I put myself in a position that I can move if I have to, even if I have to crawl. If I have to redirect that traffic coming in, because I can tell the way my son is looking, that it's not he's not coming. He didn't read the script. He's supposed to be coming over here and he's coming over there. And so I have, that's my job to be able to move him in. It's also my job to make the right sounds at the right time. I have to know when, not to cow call. I have to know when it's time to bugle. You know, seriously, I have to to shut up, right? (laughs) Exactly. Or rake or whatever the case may be, you know, because as the elk starts coming and I can tell by his body language more times than not, that's exactly what I do. Did you hear that, y'all? I've got to take a second from the show to tell you about the Enchantress call from Slayer Calls. This call, it gets you the most realistic bugles and cow calls I have ever heard from an external. Look, the folks at Slayer Calls designed this external call to act just like a human tongue. So literally, with the push of a button, anyone can use this bad boy to bring those puppies running. Look, if you struggle with diaphragm calls or you have a partner that's just not able to call, y'all, this right here is your ticket to sucking those bulls right on in. If you want to try the Enchantress, which they're calling the Elk Slayer now, to put me in your freezer, then just use our code. It's one word, ElkBroSlay. Again, that's the code, ElkBroSlay, on SlayerCalls.com. I shut up, and I let the elk do the rest because he's already coming. I've already got him to come this far, and I can tell the shot is coming. But at the same time, the shooter, if he needs to move, he needs to do that. He has to know that he is not anchored and ball and chained to a tree. I can't tell you how many times my son or I, as a bull was coming, but you always can, you, you always have to know where the bull is. You cannot move at all. Not even grab the tip of your hat if that bull is in, you can mm-hmm. see him or any part of him. Cause if he sees you move anything, it's over. He's gone. So a lot of times it's his Amen. last vocalization. Or it's real thick and you can hear him moving, but you can't see and you need to move left or right. Oh, lots of times we've had to do that. We've had to readjust our position as the shooter so that when he did come around or came through, you know, then then you're ready for the shot. So as a shooter, you got to look ahead of you and see what are the obstacles. Is this uh, an area where an elk can come through or is he going to have to go around all this stuff or he's going to have to go, you know, so – and I know a lot of times things happen fast, but I will tell you that in a caller shooter setup, most of the time it is not happening fast. You have plenty of time to get position, get your stations, have a little chat of what you're going to do. I mean, you really do. It's, it, you know, once in a blue moon, yeah, we get an, a, 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 an encounter that happens so quick that it's just bam, bam, bam. You're trying to call them in and, and hope it works out. But most of the time, that's why I tell guys, when you're doing, uh, you're hunting with guys and especially if you ha- haven't hunted with them uh, much and when you get to camp, do mock setups. So, hey, you get up here. I'm going to call and you go get yourself in, in a good position. Go right over there. And I'll tell you what most of them do. They get like 15 yards from you and they camp right there. 
Like, what are you doing? You know, you're too close. You have they, they need to understand and appreciate how far they really should get, depending on the openness of the country. But most of the time, 25 to 40 works out for us. We when we're working a herd bull, the 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 setup is tighter. When we're working satellites, ones that most likely don't have cows, we can open it up. And of course, the terrain means everything. If it's super open terrain, we have to spread it even further, even a hundred yards apart. Yeah, you know, it it all depends on what you're on your on your dealing with at that time. Yeah. So I I know, guy, you had uh, a lot. You were calling for a buddy this year. And you encountered a lot of this. You got to see some of those frustration things between caller and shooter, right? Uh, What were some of the things that that you saw that was happening with that? Impatience by the shooter. That that is huge. And when Paul said, you know, set those scenarios up in camp, that that's a big deal. Mm -hmm. Um, That that six that that came in and bedded what nine or so yards from me. Uh, shooter was out of position. He got impatient, right? I can hear what's going on. I heard the emotion. Um, I heard him jump the private, <laughs> you know, I heard the boom on the public. Mm. Um, shooter got impatient and I didn't know. I couldn't see him because it was so thick and he swung back around me. This bull's coming in. I'm like, Oh yeah. And I look over there. He is. Um, another scenario I had, uh, we had a, this is a decent rag. Um, he's coming in on a string, but he's above me 70 yards and I'm looking at him clear as day. He turned perfectly broadside and I'm looking like, okay, take the shot, take the shot, take the shot. Couldn't see my shooter again. Shooter was out of position, not listening, not paying attention to what was going on. Um, what that bull was doing, how he was moving. I could tell, right. But going back to what I said and what Paul said, it's paying attention to, you know, situational awareness is what it amounts to. Right. And then understanding what they're saying, what that emotion is as they're coming into you. Um, it's, it's a huge, huge deal. So I will take Paul's advice, um, you know, next go around with that and, and have some setups in camp. That's a big deal. Well, it's funny. I've had Chab with me for years and, you know, where I'm calling and Chad's moving in, I don't even think about him. You know, I know that he's going to react to what the bull's doing. If he hears the bull is is talking and coming off to the side and he's over here where he's not going to have, have a shot, he gets up and he moves mm-hmm. and he goes and resets mm-hmm. to where he's going to have a shooting lane. Chad, what's in your mind, man, when the calling's happening? Well, first of all, you know, just uh, stay alert. You know, make sure that when you do, uh, sit down, uh, make sure you have a shooting lane or a lot of shooting lanes. And, uh, like you said, if he's moving in a certain direction, uh, if he's trying to win you or if he's just, uh, trying to win you, cause you're calling, uh, get in a position where you're going to get a shot. You just can't, you just can't sit there the whole time. But, uh, if you do see him, you know, like, uh, Paul said, you know, be prepared, but you know, don't move until you get that opportunity. You yeah. Know, when you get that, that final uh, cow call to stop him. With, with, with most guys that I have, it's so funny because like I'll tell somebody set up and 
<laughs> you know, you, you have a bull that's sounding off in a certain direction, and they start looking for something to go get behind. Yeah, right away. Right. <laughs> you know, and, yeah. and it's like, what are you doing? No, the bull's that way. Move, move. And then some of them, they, like, start moving really, really slow, and I'm like move yeah, <laughs> get yeah. get up there you know yeah, so, I, I don't kill that bull two years ago joe if i don't sprint down that hill and get to those aspens because the bull's coming right and uh if we stand up there he probably stands down there looking for us instead of coming you know so absolutely. we sprint right down there to him and ended up shooting you know about 55 56 yards but at it is really the setup is so crucial and i tell you one of the things i find is guys don't draw their bow they're hung up looking through a rangefinder or whatever it else may be. They just don't draw. The bull's walking in and they have not understood that the only way we're killing that bull is you got to draw. <laughs> they, damn the bull looking at you. Damn the bull doing any. You got to draw your bow. You know, they have a flaw. And if you got a collar, the collar and he can, again, the setup needs to be where that collar can see the scenario. If the bull boogers, we're going to stop him. You know, it, it, he's going to stop and look back. You know, yeah. you've got to draw your bow. You so, it, and I've it, been with several, man, just can't get it back. They get mesmerized and seeing that majestic creature coming in and whew, they lock up. We're getting ready to go to solo, Paul, here in a second. But if I could give any hint to any of those <laughs> listeners out there that let's say that you're the shooter and you've got your partner that's doing the calling. There's a couple of things that I saw that a lot of people will do wrong sometimes is if the caller's role is to call, your shooter's role is to shoot. So you are to get in position to get the shot. Don't get down there and start calling because now you've just ruined everything for your caller back there to be able to pull. Now you've just pinpointed yourself. Now, if it's where you're given a signal of a couple of cow calls because you're going to move up because that's what it necessitates in, in what you're seeing right there, well, that's fine because now you're given cow calls and you're moving forward, so you're no longer pegged for that position, and you and your caller knows that he needs to move up along with you if he's having trouble seeing you. The other thing as well is if you don't want to go in a straight line between you and your caller to that bull because that bull, like Paul said, is often going to come straight to that doggone collar. So if you can get off on that downwind side, do a little bit of an L, go and get off to that side so that you can get a shot on that animal instead of a instead of a frontal on it so that you can get a broadside shot on that animal as well. So that's just something. It's just like a like a little post pattern if you're a football player, all mm-hmm. right, or a flag pattern. You're just going and then you're down hanging, man, yeah, to the down downwind side so that you can get a good look at that animal coming by and i'll tell you another thing that you can introduce that we're very successful with in team calling is a decoy and and we've i've had Ooh. incredible success with that because remember elk are <clears throat> visual animals number one so that's really helped so let's go back to the setup paul and change it now from that partner setup to solo where do you see solo guys making their biggest mistake they're not playing the role of both people. You have to do that. As a solo hunter, you, you're, you're going to play both roles of a shooter, caller, caller, shooter, ever how you want to do it. And so nothing really changes that much. It really doesn't. I'm not going to change anything the way I'm going to call whatsoever. It's the same thing, but I'm, but I'm going to move as I see the need to move uh, to a new position. Once I realize he's committed and he's coming, 
Now I'm not when I do move, and I'm already going to know. I already know where I'm going to go. I already know left, right. I'm not going to go right at him for the very reason you stated. I will avoid the frontal shot if I can. I will take it if I have to. You know, as long as it's close enough. But by the same token, I'm usually going to move left or right wherever the wind is going to give me the best odds. But you know, uh, and when I'm doing it as the shooter. I, I know we're talking solo here, but I just also want to make a point in both avenues that as a shooter, you should always know where your wind is going. You, it, it, a lot of times it isn't in your face. It's, right. it's going sideways. Crosswind. You need to know the barrier. And my son and I, boy, we drill this. I mean, you have to know that barrier. When the elk's coming around, you cannot let him get any more than that right there or right over here because that's where he's going to win you. So you got to kill him before he hits that spot. Yep. So we're real adamant about this. You know, if it's right in your face, that's one thing. But a lot of times it's, it's doing this and he's coming in and we know that tree or whatever it is, I cannot let him get to that point. Yeah. I have to kill him, even if it's five feet away from it. Well, but, so it's very important to know where that wind is when you go to set up. So you know where you know what 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 you can uh, get away with and what you can't when he comes in. But as far as solo, I can tell you that when we call elk, with all the elk that we've we've taken, that I could have killed or he could have killed eighty five percent of them as a caller shooter. Both of us could have killed the bull. So it's not like we're sitting way far far apart like that. Yeah, right. When the elk is coming in. I mean, even though we're still moving and, and, and getting our, our positions, so many times the bull just kind of comes in between us or he's coming in such a way that I could have easily shot the bull. I'm literally hiding as I'm calling. And that's happened with my son too. You know, literally we're hiding down there. We're trying to get there because the bull is coming to where either one of us could have killed him. So what that really shows you is in most situations, we are no more than 40 yards apart. Hardly ever are we ever further than that because of the terrain we're hunting. Now, obviously, if it was more open, more open like I right. said, and we have done that, but we try to choose our battles to where we put them into search mode. So when I'm a solo, it, let's say I'm doing the cow party, I already know that bull is going to that the whatever elk comes in is going to walk right to that spot. I do not move on a cow party and I don't move on a breeding sequence. Both of those right there. I have the elk just walk right to me as long as I know that they're coming or I I've heard their antlers hit branches or they pop the stick or brushes rustling something gives them away the rock, uh, you know, their hoof clicks on a rock. I know something's coming and my son hears a lot better than me and he'll give that. It's coming right there, yeah. you know, and so I know. And so, OK, you know, and, you know, it's just those types of things. Yeah. And so we're planted on those. But when it comes to trying to kill a herd bull, so many times I'm moving. Oh, lots of times. Got to move. Got to move. I mean, I'd kill three of them with a longbow where I had to go right at them and, 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 and you know, had to kill them at fairly close range. And so I've killed a couple more with it too, that I didn't have to do uh move in on them. But my point is, is that knowing that you're going to play both roles and depending on the tactic I'm going to use depends if I have to move, I don't use move on a breeding sequence and I haven't had to move on a cow party, but yes, uh slow play many times because I always get him to engage. And I say always, it's kind of a, Tough word to use sometimes, always or never, but it just seems like every time we use a slow play, <laughs> they go from nothing to uh, just absolutely screaming their heads off. And it ends up with a full send challenge at the end, even though it didn't start that way. That's what it ends up to. So in those situations, it's really easy to move because they're so vocal. 
The other two situations, there's hardly any vocalization on their part. So when, how are you going to get up and move? To be assured, you're not going to get busted. It's like being in a situation and calling for 30 minutes and thinking nothing's coming and you get up and there they are. <laughs> and of oh, course they run, you how run. How many times is that? You know, so I mean, yeah. it's just, you know, so it's those types of situations that I know I'm not going to move when I'm in those two. I kind of pretty much just stay right there. But in the other ones, yes, in a, in a, in a, in an aggressive, challenging situation or in a slow play, very, very often we, we, uh, I would have to move or my son would have to move. Absolutely. But I like solo. I like it a lot. Solo, it, 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 it's very humbling. Solo, we kill way more elk by a mile on, on a, a tag team effort and have a lot more call-ins, uh, just because he, he, the bull doesn't know the shooter's there. You know that as well as I do. I mean, it's just, it, it, it's pretty much common sense. But as long as the shooter plays his role right, and, and on newer hunters, I hate putting them out there by themselves. I absolutely hate it. I don't care if you're 12 years old or you're 35 years old. I hate putting a new hunter out there that's killed one bull or no bulls on his own because he's going to screw it up every time. He's so nervous. He just, he doesn't know how to handle the situation. And so if he has a coach right there next to him and, and, and we always try to do that. If we're taking somebody, my son will be with them. I'll call or I'll be, uh, with him. My son will call, but because we, we want it to happen. We want him to put that bull down. And so a lot of times you have to talk them through it, calm them down. And, 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 and so they know when to draw because most of the time they do not know when to draw. Right. Yeah. You know, they but really they don't. don't. Yeah. Have no clue whatsoever. <clears throat> but so when you can iron that out and have that person right next to them, it, it, they learn a lot more than just you telling them after the, the situation's over. Yeah. And you weren't there. <laughs> yeah. One of the, one of the hardest parts for, at least in my head for solo, right, is, is staying, is staying within your time block, right? If, if I'm going to do, you know, a slow play, um, is is carrying that slow play out is the reason it's called slow play and that's one of my mistakes right um time seems to extend itself when you're out there solo and you're in these scenarios and and I had it happen to me last year I think I was on day like 17 or 18 and uh man I'm sitting in there I'm doing a breeding sequence I could hear this bully's playing with me and it was probably 35 minutes Right. And this, he was coming in. He's coming over these, these three little finger ridges. I'm on the fourth one. And, uh, he went silent and I walked away and I didn't get 70 yards and I could hear him right where I was at. And it was just like, good Lord, what did you just do, man? So it's for me, it's the time block on the solo. It is, uh, it's challenging, very, very challenging. And in so many days in the woods, yeah, not only the time, but the frustration, right? Chasing this, this one bull. The frustration of that, it eats you alive too. <laughs> That's a good point though. I, I, I agree a hundred percent that sometimes patience, it, it, it's not a virtue for all of us, but <laughs> no, I agree. Sir. I mean, it's, it's exactly, we put a time frame on ourselves. It seems yes. like where the animals could care less if it was an hour or five hours, but we do that to ourselves a lot. Absolutely. Yeah. We worry about the animal working in people time and not in elk time. That's right. And, uh, and, and that's one thing that we try to tell people when you are painting a picture, when you are putting on a scenario, when you are doing a sequence, whatever you want to call it, all these things are the same things. They just have different names and animals are coming in their time. They're at different distances. 
They have different needs. I mean, I can I can close my eyes and I can see a bull coming and he stops and he feeds and he puts his head up. He listens a little bit. He starts to take some steps where you might have another one that hears it. Man, he's like, oh, man, people, you know, I mean, or heard. Right. And they're like, boom, boom, boom. They just want to be there when, you know, there's different things and different modes. that's going to happen at different paces. And and just because and here's the other thing. Just because you had one animal come in and that blew out doesn't mean there's not another one coming. A lot of times if you've invested that time in there, you can have multiple animals that are actually coming into you. We've had multiple animals at from different directions coming into us. You know, literally had a bull in front of us looking, paying attention here. It starts to walk off so I stand up to move to get to another position, and when I stand up, there's a bull <laughs> that has walked in 12 yards behind me, and he starts to booger. He has no idea what I am because I'm hidden. I cow call, draw at the same time. It's a dead bull. It's done, but the the point was, Luis, did you hear it come in behind us? <laughs> no. <laughs> it, it just... No. And, and and I have a similar situation yeah. where, you know, when me and Manana were up on the ridge with the bull that you killed, Beto, uh, the following day, um, we were up there. We were trying to call on a group of cows that were there, and we were just, you know, again, doing pretty much kind of like the, the slow play or a cow party, actually, is kind of what we were doing. Um, but... And we were there and, and calling and calling and Manana was up in the front and I was trying to bring them in and it must have been 30, 45 minutes. I'm there and then I started raking the tree and then, you know, it just, I just didn't know what else to do, right? I mean, that's why when I'm talking about, well, the ingredients and in which order, you know, to put them in and I'm just standing there and all of a sudden they kind of start moving down on the right hand side of the ridge and then Manano repositions and then I go behind him and we're just kind of mindful of the wind so I'm starting I'm starting to kind of cow call again to try to stop him what happened was Manano actually took a shot and that's when he hit that little limb remember and so they kind of spooked but they didn't fully run all the way out so we kind of just chased a little bit and repositioned as I'm calling I hear something behind me and sure enough, there was that bull coming from the top of the ridge back right behind me. And I'm like caught in a pickle, right, right with the bull behind me. I'm trying to turn around. Manano notices I went quiet and then he turns around and he sees the bull. And then obviously when he draws towards the bull, the bull seat catches the movement just like he talked and then turns around and spins out and, and leaves, but goes back to say, you know, if they will eventually come in. It's just a matter of... Well, and, but but think about what happened there as well. You know, you had a group that started to move off that's making noise. You can hear elk noises. You're yes. doing the call to try to stop them. So now you're hearing the calls and you're hearing the pleading with the elk noises. That sold it for that bull, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And I think so many people, yeah. Yeah. when they get in a position, they want to go quiet with their feet, loud with their calls. So they're not making elk noises. They're 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 making voice calls but you know and then they'll just shut up and here's an animal looking like well where are I know I I was raking a tree as well too so I mean right. it uh, yeah um but sure. yeah it, it's uh yeah 
guys, we're we're right now we're we're uh, about at time. I know uh, I know Paul's probably um, it's about time for you to get out of here, Paul. <laughs> Drank like five pints of water just trying to you know keep his mouth from drying up. <laughs> up but uh, you know we we talk a lot on the phone and always always enjoy those conversations and I appreciate you, Paul, and I know you love to talk elk. And I so appreciate you coming into our camp tonight and, and being a part. I just wanted to personally thank you. Yeah, thank great you. great yeah. meeting you, and thank, thank you so you. much. Hey, no, it's my you, pleasure, Paul. guys. It's, uh, same here, meeting all you guys. Thank you very much. Oh, my gosh. I mean, like I said, we've been listening to you. We all have the Elk Nut app. And everybody that's listening to this podcast, y'all need to go and download the Elk Nut <laughs> app. Listen, go search the Internet, find where Paul Medell's been on our podcast been on many other podcasts, it really, when you guys understand the language and those four little things that he was talking about, the scenarios that he sets up, it changes the game for you. I mean, I felt like, I, you know, I'm a good archer, um, you know, in decent shape, round is a shape, in, in decent <laughs> shape, but man, when you really understand these critters and what they're talking about and what they're saying, all that, that's a unbelievable game changer. I, I really felt like it helped us move when we changed states, changed location. It took us from being in that 90% deal and put us in that 10% bracket like that, right? So, Paul, we can't thank you enough for for everything and, and showing up tonight and coming on our podcast, man. It's, it's been a pleasure meeting you, and uh, we can't thank you enough, brother. We'll have to do it again. I look Amen. forward to it. I'm going to suggest something the, with the Elk Nut app because you brought it up again is you can download the sounds, <coughs> sequences. <clears throat> download them if you're in camp and you're freezing up in the field and you need a refresher. You don't have signal out there in most of those areas. Download those sounds yeah. so you have them. If you're in the field and you're sitting down in, in a hammock taking a nap with Luis and, and Manano, uh, <laughs> no, you can, you can have that in-field refresher and it's, it's invaluable in the field, right? It helps you keep your head on square and you can keep moving and, and progressing in that hunt if you're getting stumped. I mean, it, it's just, it's. I thought you were going to say, hook it up to the big speaker. Uh, and there's, <laughs> <laughs> sit up out there. Illegal in most and states. Play it. <laughs> no, I think it's invaluable it's um, to be able to do that. So sorry, Gil. Yeah. No, it's awesome, man. It's awesome. No, I, I, I agree. Thanks so much for that input, guy. Uh, fellas, if you like what we're doing, please subscribe, rate and review us. You got to go to. Apple podcast or iTunes to review so you can check out more elk hunting content at elkbros.com. And a reminder to if you, any of our listeners would like their questions answered on the show, just send your questions to info that's info at elkbros.com. And say down here in Texas, husbands kiss your wives, wives kiss your husbands, hug your babies, keep your broadhead sharp and your powder dry. And we'll see you next week right here <laughs> on blue collar elk hunting. Peace, peace, everybody. Much love. Thanks, boys. <laughs> all right. Thanks, Paul. Thanks. Yep. You're welcome. Thanks, Thank Paul. you. Thank you very much, guys. Pleasure. And for all our grinders out there, here's some more music from our brother Tony Wintrip to close out the show. Absolutely. Tony! I'd like to put my tag on you. I've been hunting a lot of years. I had one too many missed shots and one too many beers. I saw you rolling in when the lights went down 
but she never even had a clue. So I left the blind on a Sunday afternoon. I think I'd like to put my tag on you. Well, I spent a couple nights in the window. Watching the wind blow by I'm wondering where you're gonna make your bed at And where you'll go with that sunrise Do you see yourself in the hands of a man with the working man blues I think I'd like to put my tag on you Oh, yeah, baby. I like to put my tag on. 